Hey kids, this episode includes discussion of topics that involve sensitive words that many, including us here at Cinemodities, could find offensive and detrimental. When clips are played with these words, or we, as the hosts, use them, it is intended for purposes of discussion and understanding. In no way, shape, or form do we wish to offend or hurt listeners or anyone else with this use of language. It is purely for, what we think is, academic discussion to provide a full picture of the topic at hand. With that being said, please enjoy this dense episode on what we feel is truly an immaculate film, 8 Mile. Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as you delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I don't really like bringing too much negative into my positive world. Oh, we are here continuing on with our uh, music movie series, our, our second visit at this. Last week we talked about Crestone. It was a weird one. Uh, we didn't really uh, know what to make of it, but I think we parsed through it well. Now, just like we said at the end of that episode, we're getting into something that is completely different, a lot more well-known, a lot more well-received, or received in general, I should say. It's one that Ben, as I feel, wanted to talk about you know, for a while, uh, when we've touched on him before in, in Song Screen. But it is Eminem in Eight Mile. Ben, this is a great choice for the music movie series, I have to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this is definitely a great movie that was you know really prominent in my childhood, and uh, I haven't hadn't seen it in years. I was really happy to rewatch it, and yeah, I'm really happy to be talking about it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I hadn't seen this movie in years as well. I don't think I I probably didn't watch it as much as as you have back in the day. I, I I was trying to remember when I saw it. It definitely wasn't in theaters. You know, I would have been like nine or ten or something like that. Um, but I probably caught it. You know, when it came out like a few years later, like on HBO or like someone had it on DVD or something. And I I remembered liking it. I remembered I, I mean I liked Eminem back in the day. I'm sure we'll get into that history. I got a lot to talk about with Eminem. But I mean I I remembered little bits of it here and there. Um, you know when I when I rewatched it, I was like, oh yeah, you know um, Michael Shannon is in this. He's the one fucking Eminem's mom. And uh, I like totally forgot that Anthony Mackie was in it as Papa Doc. And I'm like, oh, he's in the Marvel universe now. Good for him. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing though that always stood out to me, <laughs> the thing that I always remembered was um, Cheddar Bob shooting himself <laughs> because when I was in uh, I think ninth, uh, no, not ninth grade, like eleventh grade in my U.S. history class in high school, that was it was the time like what was that 2008 2009 when um Plaxico Burris the football player shot himself in the leg in a nightclub in New York City and when that news story broke and we were like talking about it for some reason it came up in my U.S. history class one kids in my class was like he cheddar bobbed himself (laughs) and I so that like solidified that memory for me for like forever um but uh, but I'm totally with you that I was so glad to rewatch it 
And I mean, I just have to say right off the bat, I, it, this movie is amazing. I was like shocked how, how good it is. And I mean, I, not that I didn't, I thought I was going to dislike it, but I thought it was going to be kind of a, a down the road, like, oh yeah, you know, it's one of those, I got to get out of the hood before it crushes me type of stories, which it is, you know, but it is so well done. It's so well put together. I was kind of just like blown away by how much I liked this movie now. <laughs> Right on. I'm glad to hear that. Glad I didn't force you to watch something painful or anything like that. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. You know, not like not like Crestone. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean this this uh, this movie was like, well, for one, having liked him and him as a kid, this was a big deal when this movie came out. I was like, oh shit! Like we get to watch a movie that's uh, quote semi autobiographical, yeah. whatever that means. Um, obviously, it is not the life of Marshall Mathers. It is uh, the life of bunny rabbit or yeah. <laughs> G- what's his name jimmy smith jr johnny yeah. i think jimmy, jimmy yeah yeah um but no it was, it was a it was a great watch back then it was great fun to rewatch it and of course i love i love me some good rap and i love the thing i love the most about rap which if you listen to the sans creed uh episodes um whenever when it's if it's not bragging it's shit talking like those are the things i want the most out of rap and we get a lot of that in the rap battles in this movie so oh my god i i would say almost in in all the rap scenes it's just shit talking and burning each other like it's almost you know there's a few points where it it not that it, I, I almost said nauseating it doesn't get nauseating to me but like every time it happens i'm like you know Oh God! I'm like, when when does some of the emotion come through? And I, I I know that's kind of the point of "Lose Yourself," which is the song from this movie. Um, but all the all of the rap battles, and even what the the woman and exhibit at the lunch truck outside of of mm-hmm. uh, the stamping plant, they're just like burning each other constantly. And I'm like, that's that's all they're doing with each other. But I'm with you. It's it's fun. It's good stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, an exhibit uh, exhibit kind of fucks up there. He's like starts talking shit about everybody, which yes. gets which gets him and him involved. And then we get one of the greatest uh, insults in this movie, uh, something along the lines of like, Next time, leave that bullshit home on a dresser. <laughs> Speaking of dresses, take a look at bought a fruitcake. <laughs> when you travel, you probably pack panties in your suitcase made out of lace from Victoria's Secret. If 10 men came in a cup, you probably drink it. <laughs> okay, folks, enough of the gay jokes, especially from a gay broke bitch yourself. Hey, Lope. <laughs> doo doo. You've worked here longer than me, and I get paid more than you do. Dog, take a seat. What's this guy standing in line for? He ain't got money to eat. <laughs> check this out. Yo, yo. This guy cashed his whole check and bought one ho ho. <laughs> Fucking homo. Little maggot. You can't hack it. Paul's gay. You're a faggot. <laughs> At least he admits it. Don't even risk it. This guy's starving to death. Someone get him a biscuit. <laughs> I don't know what they told you, Mike. You must have them cornrows rolled too tight. His job, you want to quit, but you can't. You've worked at this plant so long. You're a plant. <laughs> Look at your goddamn boots. For Christ's sakes, they're starting to grow roots. <laughs> On this mic, you get faded. You look like a pissed-off rapper who never made it. Oh. And why you fucking with the gay guy, G? When really, you're the one who's got the HIV. Oh. Man, I'm done with this clown. He's soft. Fuck it. I'll let homegirl finish you off. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, so that was that was some good shit. I'm I'm glad you bring that up because that's that's uh, there's there's a whole lot of context I want to talk about with this movie because after I watched it and I like kind of you know was like oh my god this was so great um, and don't I mean I'll talk about it. it's one of those movies where it's like I love it and I have a few nitpicks here and there and there's one thing that I think is wildly detrimental but but it's it's a it's an excellent movie and I'm sure we're going to gush over it um, but I guess before we get into things very quickly um, since we have a lot to talk about I'll keep it short and I'll, and also I think this is something that you know maybe we should keep under wraps uh, until we understand it better but of course Zach is not here and he's working at the restaurant what is he dealing with this week well um I, I think we might have talked about it well when you've been on Ben but um as many know uh, the Cinemodies restaurant has a condiment train so in like kind of the main dining area there's a bunch of train tracks like little model train tracks and a, and a train runs around runs around them and goes by the tables and that's how people get a lot of their condiments you know they have to wait for uh, the train to come their way and and grab what they need uh, the train also moves very fast if I remember correctly but anyway the condiment train derailed and apparently this has led to many massive injuries and the release of, release of a sizable amount of radiation. Uh, so Zach is dealing with that right now. And like I said, maybe we should understand it better uh, before, before we really give any more details. But, but yes, the condiment train is, is down. So if anybody goes to the Cinemati's restaurant this week, um, just know that you, know, you might have to settle with whatever's on the table, which I think is like crushed butterfly skulls. And I think there's like room temperature something we put on the table that shouldn't be room temperature, like jelly or something like that. Who knows? But that's what Zach's dealing with this week. Okay, Ben, let's let's just start from the top. I figured the best way to start, because we've given some of our history on Songs Creed and the Tom McDonald episode, which is also Songs Creed. Um, but those are bonus episodes. Who knows if people uh, listen to them as regularly as they listen to this. I think 8 Mile is going to garner some attention. We got to talk about Eminem. And I want to throw it over to you because, of course, this was your choice. You've, you've wanted to talk about Eminem on, on uh, Song Screed before. Eminem, like you already said, is one of your favorite artists. But can you give us some history? Like, do you remember like, how you found out about Eminem? Like, how, when you found out about him? How long you've been listening to him? Like, any, anything you got. We, I, I'm dying to know because I feel like I've never dove into it this much with you before. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's not – I wouldn't say it's like the most interesting thing of stories or anything. But, uh, but growing up, I was – I still am the youngest of four siblings, and um, I, that often meant that I was subjected to whatever music my siblings wanted to listen sure. to because I was not in, at all allowed to be in charge of uh, of you know the radio at any point. And uh, my older sisters they they kind of uh, they they became friends with with some maybe unsavory types. Is the way that I that I would say it um, now. But they were they they began listening to a lot of a lot of rap and kind of gangster music at the time, and that's uh, that's when I got introduced to a lot of things, uh, including Eminem, like Ghetto Cowboy and fucking you know Tupac, Snoop Dogg, all that. I got introduced to all of it kind of at the same time when my sisters started hanging out with some of the unsavory individuals that they used to hang out with. And, um, and then at some point it became just like a staple around our house that Eminem was, was, uh, getting played, you know, there was just lot, lots of Eminem going on. And, um, that's really it. Like nothing, like I said, nothing too crazy. It was just, my sister started listening to it and it kind of trickled down into, to me. And that was some of the music that I liked that they also liked. So it was, it was easy in the situation where, we could potentially fight about what was on. We could also just listen to something we both liked, and that was 
that was Eminem. Right on. So do you uh, still, uh, I get, maybe not, I know you still listen today. I mean, we talked about his most recent stuff, you know, on Song Street before. Did you stick with him throughout the years? Like, listening, have you listened to, like, all the albums? Like, are you, um, like, uh, continuous with him? Because that's something that I have not done. Like, there's a good, maybe, like, three albums in the middle of his discography that I, like, I have maybe listened to only once that I've never really got into. Like, have you stuck with him throughout the years? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, more or less. I mean, I, I, I would say that I definitely take breaks from listening to Eminem, but anytime a new album is released, I definitely I definitely listen through it a few times, at, at just if not out of enjoyment, out of respect, sure. uh, but most of the time also out of enjoyment. So, you know, there's there's some albums that I that definitely stuck with me better than others. Um, I remember, like, walking around the streets of Socorro, New Mexico, when I went to college there for the one year I did, uh, jamming out to... Fuck, I don't remember what album it is, but the the line, uh, I'm so sick, I got ambulances pulling me over and shit, is in it. Um, so I remember when that album came out, like, I just remember walking around the streets at night, not having anything else to do, because it's fucking Squirrel in New Mexico, uh, which is named Help, because that's what you need when you live there. And, um, and yeah, jamming out to, to those albums. So, you know, every time... Every time a new Eminem album came out, it was it was a good day for me, and I definitely followed it along the way. But as I said, you know, I took breaks in between and stuff, so like I don't listen to Eminem every day or anything like that anymore. But I but I definitely do anytime I know of a new sure. album coming out. And that that being said, my finger is pretty far from the pulse. I don't always know when new albums come out, so sometimes they take a little while to get to me. But yeah, whenever I hear something new that I is especially if it's like if there's Eminem that I haven't heard yet, I'm gonna listen to it as soon as I find out about it. Gotcha. Yeah, I, you said it best in, in kind of, you know, the same the same way I think about it is that whenever I see a new album of his, you know, come out or uh, or get announced or anything, I'm going to listen to it at least once out of respect. And um, it turns out, I mean, I've, I've actually really liked his last few albums. I mean, um, so like Kamikaze I liked, which was one that was like kind of dropped out of nowhere, I remember. Um, even the last one, Music to be Murdered by and the B-Sides, I dug that as well. Um, but like I said, there's there's some in the middle that I'm not too familiar with. But, you know, I'm, I'm also with you that I, I don't really know how I came into knowing about Eminem. Um, I, I remember being young. I, I don't remember what album it is. I'll, I'll have to actually f- dig it up and, you know, find the song. But I was when I was really young, maybe like fifth grade or something, Eminem was like coming my way. Maybe, you know, start of middle school, end of elementary school. And there was one song on one of his albums that, you know, had some, it was like, it was both music and it had some performance. And I think it was about like a car crash or something. And when I was very young and I was listening to it, I was just like, this makes me feel really sad. Like it, it evoked so much emotion in me when I was young that uh, for that reason, I think, you know, whenever I think of Eminem, I think of that. Like that was like the, the sticking point for me back in the day when I like felt that and I was like, you know, I've never really felt like upset by a song before um because you know when i was like younger i was listening to you know like i started with like the beatles and progressive rock at a young age which is very much more psychedelic and you know maybe like blue jay way by the beatles made me feel a little sad but that's more melancholy than anything but like i said i'll dig up the song and do a correction put the clip in but i remember being like man eminem made me really feel when with his music and and i I just you know he's stuck with me ever ever since hey kids Upon some research, it seems that the song I was thinking of, the song from Eminem that made me feel sad back in the day, was Stan from the Marshall Mathers LP. I'll play a clip here, but man, it really did make me feel back in the day.
I can't deny it. I wanted to mention because it gets at something you said at the end of last week's episode. Um, I believe you called Eminem uh, the goat, the greatest of all time. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. So I, um, I, I just wanted to bring this up because I feel like whenever we talk about these these big artists, you know, whether whether is music or you know movies or directors and stuff like that, it always gets into this territory of you know people saying like you know. Oh, they're not that good or something like that. You're, you're always going to have haters. I think that's what I'm trying to say. The thing about Eminem, though, is, you know, I, and I think, you know, Ben's a little more um, knowledgeable about this, the history with it. And I think there's people out there who say this that are, you know, much more qualified to critique it in this way than we are. You know, whether or not you like Eminem or his music, like the influence he's had on the culture of music and the world is undeniable. Like he's there's a reason that he's so famous, you know, it's not a mistake that he's as well known as he is. Um, it, It's the thing where it, I to bring up the Beatles again. It's that thing where you hear people where they're like, you know, oh, they're like, I hate the Beatles. And that's like, well, that's fine. You can not like something. That's OK. But as soon as you start saying they're not influential or important, you're fucking out of your mind. And I think Eminem is is one of those classes of of musicians, of artists in general, of, of you know, creators where you can like or dislike his stuff but you cannot deny how important he is a figure in you just like i said the culture of music in the world um i i think go go for it yeah yeah so for for reference this is a quote from uh an artist or a rapper named the game if you notice out of everybody i take a shot at that's the only person that's untouched 
He's in a bubble, and you don't even say nothing to Eminem. To anybody that ever does, God bless you, Game said. He'll end your career. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the level of respect that Em gets from from you know legit uh, legit rappers, legit artists that that are out there. You know, so he's he um, they're obviously being a white a white guy in in the rap game. He's gotten uh, some people saying things like he's a, he's just a tourist or he's just like a visitor in the rap game, sure. and, and he needs to to respect you know the other black artists or whatever. I don't. I think, for for one, Eminem came from the same streets they did, uh, which I I personally think makes it okay that he's doing the same kinds of things they did. He's doing what he grew up around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for two, for anybody to say that Eminem is just a visitor in the in the world of rap, uh, they're fucking out of their mind. Yeah, that's that's them. a crazy thing. Like I I. Like I want to, I would love to like pick the brain of someone who thinks that same way. I want to pick the brain of like anybody who thinks like you know the Beatles or Michael Jackson or like you know um, Alfred Hitchcock or like any of these big figures. Like you know, I want to pick their brains and be like, well, what 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 evidence do you have to back up that they're they're tourists, that they're not influential, that they're not that important? Because I, I it's an argument I I cannot like bring myself to to even begin to formulate. I mean, so uh, apparently. Eminem, so Lord Jamar is the person who said this, and Eminem actually responded by saying he he is a guest in the House of Hip Hop. I I think that this all has to do with the stupid race stuff that's going on in the world today. Um, I don't think that this is actually reflective of what hip hop really is or who has had the most influence on hip hop as a genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is more of that whole like appropriation and and trying to make everything politically correct so that that we can you know. I guess virtue signal as loud as we um, possibly can. Yep, yep. And that, that's really the only problem I have, I have had with Eminem is that he he's kind of given into this um, a little bit. He is definitely like I don't know given into, into the woke mob a little bit, which I which I hate to see from Eminem. Um, that being said, it hasn't stopped him from from saying faggot. So yeah, yep. <laughs> that's also good. I mean, I, I don't know. It's whatever. But but no, I mean, I, I think that that is that is a statement that is devoid of meaning. Uh, if Eminem is a guest in the house of hip hop, like Eminem's a fucking pillar in the house of hip hop. Sure. Yep. Yep. You, you take Eminem out, the house of hip hop might damn damn near fall down. You know, if if he's a guest, then they need a new structural engineer or something because they got a guest holding up the house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, even just in terms of, you know, all the, the, the influence, uh, what he, who he's had influence on, you know, um, not just other rappers or hip hop artists, but all musicians. And like I said, that's, I, I mean, it's undeniable. It's, it's completely undeniable. And, um, you know, I, I know that Ben and I agree with that. If anybody thinks otherwise, you know, about Eminem, about any of these big artists, I would love to, you know, um, understand where you're coming from because it seems ridiculous to me. Um, so you can email us, cinemasgmail.com. Um, but uh, the other thing that you brought up, which I knew we were going to have to get to, th- this is something I wanted to pick your brain about first. Um, would you say that his Eminem, as, as the person, as the artist, you know, would you say his biggest controversy is the, you know, the homophobia. And when I say homophobia, I mean the use of, you know, all of the slurs and stuff like that that he's um, been called out on in um, 
in just over the years and stuff like that. Uh, of course, he's had other controversies, you know, uh, him being investigated by the Secret Service for, you know, threatening every president that's been alive, you know, which is which is kind of why I think it's crazy that they keep investigating him because it's just like, yeah, he talks shit on every president, you know? It's like, are they, are they looking, they're going to get lucky and they're going to be like, you know, okay, I f- we found the one he's actually going to like shoot or something like that. It's just, <laughs> that's crazy. But would you, would you agree? Because like I said, I think you know a little more about his history than I do. Would you agree that the, the homophobia or alleged homophobia is his biggest controversy. <sighs> yeah, I, as far as I know, that is that is the biggest one that um, that has caught attention, you know, o- over the years. And there there was things like, you know, he he did this this thing at what one of the Grammys or w- one of those award shows mm-hmm. with Elton John. Um, like I I don't I personally don't really think that Eminem is actually homophobic. But at the same time, he totally could be like the streets he came from. It wouldn't have been that surprising. But again, even in Eight Mile, he like has that bit where he where he calls Exhibit a faggot mm. after Exhibit is makes fun of an actually gay person. Yes, um, he's like he might like dick, but you're a faggot, you know, and that's great. So I I really think that that Eminem is kind of more of the mindset that I was, which is that like that you can be gay or you or you can be a faggot or you can be both. But but one doesn't indicate the other and they're and they're unrelated things. So I whether he is homophobic or not, I, I don't know. But I, but in terms of like even uh, rap God, like there's a lot of homophobia in that song. Oh, yeah. Yep. So that's one that gets called out a lot. Yep. That song came out pretty late in his career. And like, I don't know, like that song was homophobic enough that it kind of bothered me. Um, not to say that I can't appreciate how good the rap is in that song, but it's just like, you really got to lay on like this, like gay looking boy, whatever looking boy, the whole, that whole bit. Like, sure. so, I mean, I, it, it's really hard for me to say, I guess, whether, whether he's like, I, I, I guess I should say, I, I don't think he's homophobic, but I think sometimes he, he leans on, on that homophobia in ways that are like, it's not becoming like that song in, in my opinion is like, Yes, he has some fast flow in it, and that's great. But that the the gay looking boy part, like that's just not becoming of of the artist that Eminem can actually be. Sure, sure. Yeah, I I'm, I'm with you. Um, and I know we've talked about it. I don't. It's on main feed on Patreon, whatever. You know. Um, that I I am of the mindset that you said. You know, I think South Park did it best, where you know they have the whole motorcycle gang, and they're like, we aren't talking about gay people. You just admitted to spray painting that they should get out of town. Just because a person is gay doesn't mean he's a fag. Faggot later was defined as a bundle of sticks. You can be gay and not be a fag. Do you ride a big loud Harley and go up and down the streets ruining everyone's nice time? No. Then you're not a fag. Annoying loud faggot Harley riders. Yes, Jesus, yes. That the word no longer means to kids today what it meant just a few years ago. Making the word fag officially refer to annoying, inconsiderate Harley riders. Um, and they, they, they are separate. And that's actually, I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, that's what Eminem has gone on record saying, where he says, he's like, well, in the scene I grew up in, those words were thrown around willy-nilly. Like, they, they were just like uh, the, the lingo, the, um, the, the slang of the day. And, I mean, even for me back in the day, I remember being in, like, elementary school, and it would be like people would want to say, like, oh, that's bad, and people would be like, that's gay. And I'm sure everybody in, in like, our age yeah. range is, is familiar with that. But he has said, you know, since they're thrown around so much, and that's the scene he grew up in, he's never equated them with actual homosexuality 
homosexuals. Um, and then, you know, he gets into the thing with, I'm glad you mentioned Elton John because not only have they performed together, they're actually like really good friends. Elton John helped Eminem a lot when he was going through, you know, recovery from his addictions and stuff like that. And so, you know, right off the bat, I'm, I'm thinking like, well, you know, how, how could he be homophobic if he's like such good friends with Elton John, who is like one of the, may I say, gayest people ever, you know, once he came out and his flamboyance, like him and Liberace, you know, but right. then, then it comes up to the thing that I, I, I maybe have never fully understood where I know that, you know, some people, um, have, have said where it's problematic, um, I'm trying to you know choose my words carefully because I fully don't understand it. Some people I've heard say, "Oh, it's problematic when people say, "Well, I can't be racist because I have black friends." And I'm like, "Well, I I guess in my naivete, I was I've always kind of been like, "Well, yeah, can't like wouldn't you not have black friends if you're racist?" But maybe you know maybe there is some deep seatedness, maybe like implicit homophobia in Eminem. I really don't know, and I think you're saying the same thing. We don't know, but I do agree with you, and I'm, and I think you said it very well that. Um, Late in, later in his career, when he's still using these slurs and stuff like that, it is a little bit too much of a crutch that he doesn't need to be leaning on, where it yeah. kind of made sense back in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. Not for, for Eminem, but for, like, music Anybody. as a whole, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, but I, I just found that, you know, so weird, of course, uh, that, that, you know, the most you can read... His Wikipedia page is huge, of course, you know, and all his... He has so many controversies, like I said, and a lot of it is about the, um, the homophobia and stuff. And, you know, this movie, it's a 2002 movie, so, you know, we... I, I think Ben and I, we don't really like to judge, you know, something that came out 20 years ago under the lens of today or the last few years. But, man, it's it's all over this. Like you said, the line about Exhibit, I mean, you got, you know, Anthony Mackie calling him a faggot like every five – every time he shows up on screen or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also wanted to – I found this um, Letterboxd review uh, that I wanted to read because I, it's about the homophobia and I, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. But – um. It's it's written like a, the meme where it's like one line is like Eminem colon and then what he says and then the other person colon. So I hope I hope it'll come across when I say it. Um, but it's from a user named Amaya. She has a uh, her profile picture is of Shelley Duvall from The Shining. So I give her props for that. I don't give her props that she gave this movie two out of five stars. That's insane to me. Um, but this was her review. So Eminem, you know, says your doo doo and then in asterisk nine homophobic slurs. Slibbity bibbity bop boop bop, and then <laughs> and then and then twelve year old me colon crying the Shakespeare of a generation, <laughs> and and I thought that was hilarious, and I have to shout out that somebody did comment on that review and said this is the worst review ever. <laughs> uh, I mean there 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 is a line in this movie where Eminem calls someone. He either calls them doo doo or their rhymes doo doo. <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, nine homophobic slurs. Shakespeare of a generation. No, that's funny. I oh mean, yeah, he is the Shakespeare of a generation. It was, so it there's was great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I, I won. I think that you know whether or not you know Eminem is actually homophobic. I think that's not the point of of this discussion or a lot of his music. You know, I don't think it's actively homophobic or hatefully homophobic or anything. I also don't think that has anything to do with this movie like you've already mentioned it, the exhibit thing at the uh, at the lunch cart scene that's like the only time that like 
any true homophobia comes up when Exhibit points out the gay dude, you know, and he just mm-hmm. kind of is just riffing and he's like making fun of everybody and he just gets to the gay guy. I, I don't think there's anything really in here where it's like, you know, there's no there's no like, you know, gay panic scene or anything like that. It, no, it really no. does come across as like this is just because this movie is set in 1995. You know, it's a, the start in of the movie is like 1995 Detroit. Detroit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I could totally believe that this was just the the, the lingo. Um, It's it's the uh, what's that whole notion of. um you know, derogatory drift or something where like, you know, these, these terms that are used for like very specific things, they just meld their way into society and they, you know, become just a, a, just a word, just an insult. Cause that's, that's what people do. They insult each other, not just in this movie, not just in Detroit, but everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think of, you know, nobody's, I don't think anybody says it in this movie, but you know, like retard, like retard was the medical term for mentally challenged people or a certain class of them. And then that just turned into an insult, you know, that type of thing. Right. Yeah. The, well, and it, it kind of, uh, it, that's a frustrating thing for anybody who's like, I don't know, trying to use the right terms because, the right terms change and they and things that were previously politically correct become politically incorrect because yeah. too many people have started using them as an insult. It's like, OK, fine. Like, I get that you don't want to use the term retarded anymore because it is just used to mean stupid now mm-hmm. or whatever, because that's that's what it became used to, to mean. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's they they drift in and become used for the the thing they are or well i mean okay so they become used as as an insult um based on the thing that they actually mean uh and then that becomes what they're more known for than their like the actual term like i mean midget at some point was the same yeah yep absolutely absolutely that that's one that i still have trouble with where i know that you know there's there's people that you know think midget is is um is offensive offensive yeah but i'm like that that's one of the ones that like when i grew up that was a very widely used term for short people you know and that's yeah. that's one i've i've had a lot of trouble breaking not just i don't use it as insult what i'm saying but that i I still like when I see little people, you know, it's like um, I talk to people at that movie Tiptoes where Gary Oldman, you know, in the political rec way, Gary Oldman plays a dwarf and he's on his knees for the entire movie. But when oh, I ex- yeah. when I explain it to people and I'm just like having fun with my friends or whatever, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the movie where, you know, Gary Oldman plays a midget. And it just slips out because I'm like that to me is what that is. You know, I've been better with, you know, like retard and stuff like that. But midget is one I have such problems shaking. So I apologize. You know, when I say that on the podcast, it just slips out. <laughs> <laughs> um, because um, dwar- also dwarf to me is a, a fantasy character, you yeah, know. Okay. Like so when I, I grew I up, that that was instilled in me that you know midget was the technical term and dwarf was a character from like Lord of the Rings Lord and Harry Rings. Potter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and actually, I'm I'm glad that that this has come up because there's this whole Peter Dinklage thing where they were they they were going to do seven Snow White and the seven oh, Snow White and the seven dwarfs, yeah. and he's like, what is this? Like we're still whatever i guess derogatory thing about dwarfs and it's like dude so the, snow white and the seven dwarves is is a a fairy tale from like what like a german or a swedish culture sure, or something sure it's like the dwarves are dwarves they're not short people <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> they are not you know you know physically deformed that is their species yeah so like that's like uh, I don't know why you want to be upset about this. I guess is where I'm coming from. Like, <laughs> it's it's about like, are you going to get upset? Are there enough people with pointy ears that are going to get upset whenever we talk about elves? Like oh, elves God. are like 
anyway, this, uh, that's uh, that's a topic for another day, I think. Sure. No, but, I'm totally yeah. with you. I heard about that Peter Dinklage thing, and I was like, what? I'm like, what is – I'm like – what is going on? You know, it's like well, unironically no, clown world sometimes. Well, and I, I read something from, from a, a little person actor and he was just like, not all of us have all the work that Peter Dinklage has. And he just took away seven roles. Oh, <laughs> oh God, that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> you know, the unintended consequences. But. Yes. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, there's, it's like I said. I like I said. I don't think the point. I wanted to talk about this because I think it's important. But with Eminem, because he does get this hate, um, and maybe to use that as a segue. The other thing about Eminem, you know, we we will talk about Eight Mile. Don't don't, don't worry, everybody. We're like thirty minutes in, and we've said f- all this stuff so many times. But um, so the other thing is, uh, we talked about it. I think in. The, Tom McDonald, or we we talked about it somewhere, and I, I cut out so much shit that's irrelevant sometimes, and it goes into those rants episode on Patreon. I have no idea where it came from. But do you remember, Ben, the last – what was the last thing Eminem tried to get canceled for? Was it homophobia or was it something else? Because mm-hmm. I, I remember the whole thing. Didn't he rap about, like, the shooting at Mandalay Bay? Didn't he do something about that and people yeah, were angry? Was... I don't remember how recent that was, though. Let's see. Gen Z wants to cancel Eminem. <laughs> Um, did you Google cancel Eminem or Eminem? I did. Yeah, okay. yeah I did. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I just because I, I I don't remember. I know that I know I didn't give a shit when I heard about it. It's uh, sure. Let's see. Oh, the misogynist, homophobe, abuse apologist. Let's see. Isn't it kind of I when you as as you look through that? Isn't it kind of just like when you list those things like abuse apologist, uh, homophobe, misogynist? You know, he's he's insensitive to victims and stuff. Isn't it kind of like almost? I I, I this might not be the right word, but you know, inevitable that people are going to find problems with somebody like Eminem because inherently the music he creates is incredibly densely lyrical. Like oh yes, sure. like, isn't it fine. almost kind of like I said? It's it's a foregone conclusion that he's. It's like maybe the best the the best analogy I can make is you know when um what Bruce Bruce Jenner uh, transitioned into Caitlyn Jenner that was a big story and one of the things that people were kind of shocked about was that years years before that transition happened or that transition was announced or he, anything he killed somebody with his car well, well that that I mean that that that's beside the point um, but there was a Family Guy joke where they talked about Bruce Jenner like becoming a woman Brody Jenner God what a douchebag. I can't believe that came out of Bruce Jenner's vagina. Bruce Jenner is a man. No, Brian. That's what the press would have you believe, but he's not. Bruce Jenner is a woman. An elegant, beautiful Dutch woman. And Mm. after the actual transition happened, so many interviewers, like, flocked to Seth MacFarlane. And they were like, what did you know about him, her? You know, like, how did you know that this was going to happen? Like, why'd you make this joke? And Seth MacFarlane was like, I didn't know anything. We make like 200 jokes an episode. Some of them are going to come true. (laughs) And I feel like it's the same thing with Eminem, that when he's putting out this many words so like for such a long time in his career, it's an inevitability that he's going to say something that people are going to get offended by. And then it's compounded by the fact that, you know, we live in a very offended, you know, culture right now. Right. Well, so I guess the, the most recent cancel Eminem thing came from TikTok. Oh, of course. And they, um, (laughs) The user highlighted the lyrics. If if she ever tries to fucking leave again, I'm tired to the bed and set this house on fire, which is from a song called "Love the Way You Lie." Okay, uh, great song. Oh, it's, it's something he says something about 
it, it hurts watching her leave. That's why they call it window pane in that song. But, um, But anyway, so so you know they're just like, oh, he's abusing. He's talking about abusing women, or like tying this this lady to the bed and setting the house on fire, or whatever. It's like he's clearly talking about the pain of loss and the extremes that emotions can take you to. Yes. Um, and if you take that on its face, yes, he's saying uh, he's maybe even encouraging doing something that is that is you know um, reprehensible, but. I mean, that's I guess that's one of my problems with people in general is whenever they want to take things just literally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, do I think that Eminem's ever going to tie anyone to a bed and set her on fire? No, no, I don't. Do we think he's ever going to, you know, like shoot a president? No, absolutely not. You know, I mean, he would have done it already. He would have shot Bush. I mean, everybody would have shot Bush if they but that's the thing. It's the it's the heightened emotions that, you know, are anger and, and reactions that uh, like emotions can bring you. And that I, I think, you know, that's also what a lot of the characterization of B-Rabbit in 8 Mile is about. The opening oh, yeah. scene of the movie is him fighting with the bouncer. Like just for almost no like they go. He's like, you know, hey, man, you can't come in. Yo, you motherfucker, I got a stamp on my hand. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. No, he just goes <laughs> off on him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. When you were a kid, did you ever tell someone you were going to kill him? I'm sure. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, they do something you don't like. Like, I'm going to kill you. Like, was that – am I the only kid? No, I'm sure I'm not the only kid that ever said that. Am I the only kid that ever said it and didn't mean it? God, I hope not. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> – Yes, um, yeah. No, it's it's ridiculous to to look at these to look at any one song from Eminem's career and try to make any kind of assessment over yeah. over his what he even means. Like if you're if you're not listening to to more of his work than just the one song that offended you, then I I, I don't think that you understand him. And nobody your opinion about it should be cared about by no one. Yeah, like nobody should give a shit about your opinion about Eminem if you're only listening to like the one song that it took to offend you. Yeah, that that's the other thing is that I think there's um, it, it comes with the territory of his visibility, him being so famous, and him, you know, when when he does something, it permeates the 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 culture, the sphere, the information highway, Twitter now, you know, TikTok now, and stuff like that. And I'm sure that you know when like you you saw that that title, that article title, like Gen Z wants to cancel Eminem. You know, I'm, I would imagine that, you know, a lot of these people who want to cancel it, which is something we've talked a lot about before on this podcast, they're going to hear that and it's just going to start a snowball effect where they're just going to listen to that one song. Maybe not even the whole song. Maybe they're just going to listen to the clip that is is the perpetrating line or something because you can only, you know, TikTok can't be that long or, and tweets can't be that long. And it's like, once again, it's almost too honed in. You're not, it, it's taken out of context, I guess is, is what I'm saying. And that's always I mean- dangerous. Even from and this is obviously not a not a perfect analogy, but when I when I'm doing digital art, when I'm zoomed in on something I'm drawing that's supposed to be hair, that shit just looks like lines. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't look like hair until you zoom out, and that's um. So you know, just fucking it, like you said, it's it's too honed in, it's too zoomed in. Yeah. Um. And 
it's asinine. Like you just, I don't know. You can't. Well, oh, so and something else that I think is going on is, is to some degree, I think, I think it's like a power trip, right? Like, like, oh, I canceled this person who's been around way longer than me. Like, I mm. have all this. I have enough power to do this. And it's like the thing they don't understand is that is that everyone else has enough power to do it to them. Um, sure. Like whenever whenever they're creating the world like that. So like I I think for some of these people it is something more like a power trip where it's just like I just want to be powerful enough to to cancel this person. It's like I mean okay you can live in that world, but you have to like live in that world. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, power, yeah, power and I don't want to live in that world. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, power trip's an interesting, an interesting take uh, because I, I think that actually goes hand in hand with what I was saying about visibility. Is that you know the the, the things that get you know torn apart like this, like Eminem, he's because he's so famous. It's also you know to bring up the, another example is like. Um, you always hear people go like, did you know John Lennon beat his wife? And it's like, oh, okay, how do you know that? It's just that line in Getting Better where he says, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her away from my favorite things. And I'm like, well, I mean, do we have any other evidence? Like when you listen to an Eminem song where he talks about, you know, tying a woman to a bed and, and lighting the house on fire, it's like, well, d- does that mean he did that? You know? Did or he is... ever kill his mom? Exactly. Like, I'm pretty sure his mom is still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's that visibility that comes with it. Where, as you know, God, com- he better hope she doesn't get murdered. He'll be the first oh, suspect. Uh, yes, I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, I mean, like, uh, think about these these other artists that don't have this visibility. You know, use an example to stick with with rap or maybe you know uh, some hip-hop spoken word stuff crud bump ben you and i and the people we tell about crud bump seem to be the only people that know about crud bump i mean like i isn't it in like in big balls phone calls yes that is a crud bump song everybody doesn't he say something about shooting the president or he might say something about getting shot for the president i'll put the clip in but regardless could you imagine if crud bump had a song where he's like you know I'm going to shoot the president or something. No one would care because no one would know about it. <laughs> uh, yes, that. But I mean, also just to to make your point. Had a plot to kill the president when he was a white guy. Didn't carry it out because I would have got captain. If I wanted to get shot for Bush, I would have gone to Iraq and Afghanistan. That's not the plan of Stan. Honey, I shrunk the country starring Rick Moranis. I'm making big balls phone calls. I'm making big balls phone calls. I'm making big balls phone calls. Give me the handset. Asking Ted Strickland for serious transit. Uh, I mean, there's a song where Crudbump says, it's not a joke. I want to eat human oh, flesh. Oh, yeah, yes, that's that's the better example. I, I was on the president thing. I want to uh, eat I, human flesh for real. It's not a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this isn't a joke. I'm going to eat a uh, human. He's just like, he says, <laughs> I think in that song he says, like, I want to eat somebody who only eats local food. Yes, like, I want to eat somebody who eats somebody who eats at one restaurant or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I want to eat a locavore. Um, yeah, yeah, so, I mean... I want to eat human flesh for real. It's not a joke. I want to taste it in my mouth. It's not a joke. I want to eat someone from around here. I'm a locavore. I want to eat someone who only ate cereal. I'm organic. I want to eat someone who only ate vegetables. Like I'm a human type.
Carnosaurus. Raph, especially Raph, is widely known for saying things that are not true. Like, mm-hmm. that's a lot of the shit talking that goes on in Raph. Like, yes, yeah, some of it is based in reality. But then there's, like, the follow-up stuff of, like, you know, I fucked your mom and shit like that. Yep. Like, there's there's a lot of I fucked your mom or I'm gonna fuck your mom in this movie. And um, Greg Buell actually does fuck Rabbit's mom, and that's sad. <laughs> but, yeah. Because uh, he won't go down on her. But, uh <laughs> But, you know, like, that's that's just like the rap world is is almost entirely based on saying things that aren't actually true. So then to be like, ah, oh, we have to cancel any rapper who talks about killing their mom, which is, I think is only Eminem. You know, that's that's just another example of, of things of the of them saying things that are not true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and that being a part of this of this art form. Meanwhile, Chris Brown hasn't been canceled, and he actually did beat Rihanna. So sure, sure. Un- yep. Until Chris Brown's canceled, I, I will not entertain any notion of canceling Eminem. Let me put it that way. That's yeah. That's that's also a good point. Is the um the um the the, the picking and choosing that seems to happen in cancel culture, or the um which we which we get at uh, got at a little bit, not with the Chris Brown thing, but with the Louis C.K. thing in our Pootie Tang episode, where you know mm, um yeah. some some type of tentative cancellation or or um finite cancellation or or people getting a comeback i guess that type of thing um and some people you know i'm okay with some i think people do deserve second chances some people don't but you're absolutely right uh the whole chris brown rihanna thing seemed to blow over where what there's that song chris brown did with like buster rhymes and lil wayne look at me now i think it's called and when that came out that was like playing everywhere when i was in college and i remember thinking the same thing that i think about r kelly where i'm like isn't this dude a monster like, isn't this dude, like, yeah. not in control of his emotions ever? Like, not just with Rihanna, but, like, when, you know, like, his, his assistants don't get his orders right and stuff, or food orders right and stuff like that? Like, why are we entertaining this? But, of course, then it comes back to the whole separating art from the artist, which is, you know, a, a whole discussion for sure. <laughs> right. But if you can if you can do it, like, and the, I guess that's the thing, is, is Chris Brown's lyrics are not questionable. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and m&ms are does that matter like at what point did words start being more important than actions yeah abs- absolutely maybe in the last few years unfortunately <laughs> uh, well yes oh. that's that's true with with slacktivism being what it is yes yes um, um but... i think i think this is all important for m&m but um uh, unless you have any other uh, i'm sure it'll be peppered throughout this whole thing when we get to other scenes in the movie but i, I thought this was so important to get through because you know he's controversial I, I think comes with the famousness, comes with the visibility, like everything we said. But I, I feel like, you know, we're going to throw it back. We're going to take it back to 2002 when he was at, you know, at, at the top of the world and this movie comes out. So um, maybe as a transition into more of the movie, something that, you know, I, I actually found out that I did not know about Eminem. Uh, I, I think I, everybody is kind of somewhat aware. He did aware. kill his mom. He did. <laughs> oh. no, okay. I read. I found a Reddit post on a subreddit with four users called r slash Eminem killed his mom, I swear. Um, <laughs> no, but so I, I think everybody is aware um, that, you know, Eminem has dealt with addiction in his lifetime. He overdosed in 2007 and, you know, that uh, on methadone, I believe. Um, and, um, you know, he's been clean for a very long time. And um, but that's one of the things I mean, the whole what he has, what rehab and relapse are two of his albums. And he and he yeah. uses a lot of that in his material, which which I love where it's you all know, shady is is hair bleach and vodka. Yeah, there you go. But I, what I didn't know is uh, uh, apparently, uh, as legend has it, because this is, you know, um, just 
this kind of like internet talkings. I couldn't find like an actual quote from Eminem or anything. But apparently when he was actually working on this movie, um, he, it's, it's movie hours. It's, it was a long shoot, you know, so he's working like, you know, 14 to 16 hour days and stuff like that. And he was so like hyped up from doing, because he's in every scene of this movie also, which is fucking crazy. Like he is the main character and there is not a scene he's not in, which is wild. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's, um, he, he was, he was like really stressed and all this stuff. And one of his associates gave him an Ambien so he could go to sleep and it led to him getting a prescription. And that's kind of what sent him down the rabbit hole oh, shit. of his his pill addiction. And what I so while I couldn't find an exact quote for that, I wanted to I was like, oh, man, that's rough. You know, it's um, it's it's a much sadder version of what we talked about in Constantine. Constantine is the movie that got Keanu Reeves addicted to smoking cigarettes because oh. he, he had to have a cigarette in his hand in every scene he was in. Um, right. But. But what I, I wanted to learn more about Eminem's addiction, and I was like, well, what was, was he doing, you know? And uh, he has said, he has gone on record saying that when he was at the top of his addiction in the, like, mid-2000s, like, leading up to his overdose, he was taking 40 to 60 Valium a day and or 30 Vicodin a day. That is some Dr. House-level shit right there. Like, when you watch House, you're like... Okay, this is just TV nonsense, you know? It's like he's just popping pill, popping Vicodin like they're Skittles. It's like when you watch, you know, alcoholics in movies. It's like no one can actually drink that much. They're going to fall flat on their face, you know? Mm. Apparently he was doing – I'm like, 40 to 60 Valium? How was he standing? <laughs> yeah, how was he standing yeah, indeed? But that, uh, I, I, I thought that with was With anybody insane. else, I would ask how could he afford it, but, you know, it's m M&M, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, so that's a little unfortunate that, you know, it, he, his kind of addiction came out of this movie. But, you know, uh, he, he, also, he also said that, you know, it really started after filming this movie. This wasn't like a, um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. situation where he was taking drugs in between shoots or in between uh, scenes. Mm-hmm. and stuff like that um he, he kind of came on after this after he like really got hooked on the ambien but okay maybe now on to better things um there's a there's a little a little background that i found um that blew my mind and I, i'm very excited to talk about this before i even watched this for this recording i was like when we were planning on this and we were like okay you know we got to do this in about a week or whatever and i was like okay i i just got it in my head i was like who the hell directed eight mile and i'm like i'm like why don't i know that you know with a movie that popular in the music scene i was like who the hell directed eight mile and when i went to look it up i expected it would be someone you know maybe an unknown maybe did like a few movies maybe like someone in the music industry like a music video director or something like that but when i looked it up it turns out the director of this movie is curtis hansen and I was like, I know, I was like, I've heard that name. Who, who, I was like, why does that sound so familiar? And when I looked into his filmography, Curtis Hansen is the guy who wrote and directed L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential, for anyone who does not know, is regularly considered, like, the definitive noir crime film. Like, it's considered one of the best movies of all time. Um, the only reason it didn't win more awards is because it came out in 1997, and that's the year Titanic came out. And that, of course, wins uh-huh. all the awards. But, like, I, L.A. Confidential, I mean, I think it's one of the rare instances of a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, which is very hard to do. Zero uh, percent used to be harder, but now there's so much red box garbage with Bruce Willis that every everything gets zero percent. But I like he wrote and directed L.A. Confidential, and I kept looking into his filmography. He directed The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which is one of my favorite movies ever. 
I, I strongly recommend Ben and everybody else, if you have not seen The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, go watch it. It is very dark. It is really difficult to watch, but it is so goddamn good. Um, the, the first 15 minutes is a pregnant woman getting molested by her doctor. She goes and complains to the medical board. He kills himself because of it. The, the wife of the doctor, who is also pregnant, like has, uh, has so much stress and can't handle it. And because the husband committed a crime, she gets no life insurance money. So she has a miscarriage, and she decides, the, uh, the, the wife of the dead doctor, decides to infiltrate the family of the woman who, call, who whistleblow on the doctor and like ruin their lives and take over their family. And it's fucking intense, man. Like you have like her like breastfeeding the other woman's baby to like make her more her own and all this stuff. Oh, it's it's really dark and really tough like I said, but it is a great fucking movie. Um he also, you know, other things from Curtis Hansen, um I I actually watched his directorial debut in preparation for this Sweet Kill. I it was not good. It was very boring. It, it is uh, a Roger Corman movie, and allegedly, um, when you know Curtis Hansen finished it, he showed it to Roger Corman, and Roger Corman was like, "This is pretty good, but it needs more tits." And so there's just like a bunch of reshoots, and there's like a whole bunch of nudity in it that's really unnecessary. It's a B movie through and through, and I I c- could barely follow what was going on. The whole movie's really dark, like like lighting wise, like it's almost impossible oh. to see. And that was my letterbox review. I was like, most of this movie is covered in darkness. The plot, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also, uh, in between L.A. Confidential and 8 Mile, he um, directs Wonder Boys, which I had never seen. It's on HBO Max, so I gave it a watch. It's an interesting movie. It's like takes place over a weekend where like Michael Douglas's life kind of falls apart. The the only thing that people talk about these days is that movie has both Robert Downey Jr. and Tommy McGuire in it, and they sleep together at a certain point of the movie. So most people go like, "Oh man, this has Iron Man and Spider Man sleeping together. What an accomplishment for the MCU!" And I'm like, "That's that's barely the point of the movie." <laughs> um, but but it is. It, he's he's a great director. I mean, Sweet Kill. You know, ignore that one because I think Corman put his his hands in it and messed with it a little bit but like la confidential is a fantastic movie that's that's it's so gritty and so like noirish and i love like crime procedurals and i mean if you want to see oh man ben guy pierce is in that movie um the mandarin himself memento disease himself i am the mandarin there's a scene where like one of he's a cop and he has like a shotgun and he's like doing a raid and one of the bad guys like runs out of the hallway like knocks him down and guy pierce gets back up and as the elevator the bad guy gets in an elevator and as it's closing guy pierce just like barely gets the barrel of shotgun in between the door of the uh like the closing elevator and pulls it off and just wrecks this dude and it's such a great scene like so this blew me away. Like, once I realized who Curtis Hansen was and, like, remembered Curtis Hansen, I'm like, oh, my God, he's a great director. And it shows in this movie. Like, I think this movie is very well directed. When we get into more of the, um, of the actual, like, scenes and stuff, the, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, like, so well directed. It's, it's, it's so artistic. It's, he's fantastic. But I also had to think, and this is something I want to talk about, how the hell did Curtis Hansen get this job? Curtis Hansen is a, a, a very kind of well-off white man. He's directing this, you know, I gotta get out of the hood Detroit movie about poverty, about insecurity, about, you know, the, the crushing weight of the hood, to use the, the term that's thrown around, I think, a lot more these days. I was like, how the hell did Curtis Hansen get, get to direct this? Because I was thinking, 
wouldn't this have been more suited to someone like, say, like Spike Lee, who did a lot of this stuff, like with Do the Right Thing? It's really, you know, about like poverty and like like neighborhoods going through this similar stuff. I maybe someone like Spike Lee, not exactly Spike Lee, because um, I think it would have been a little too heavy handed. But maybe someone like John Singleton. John Singleton wrote uh, wrote and directed like Boys in the Hood and um, Higher Learning and Rosewood and and Poetic Justice. So he. John Singleton also might have invented this kind of hood film notion uh, with, with Boys in the Hood. John Singleton is actually in this movie. He's the bouncer that Eminem yells at at the beginning and then who gives Eminem the fist bump after his first round at the rap battle at the end. So John Singleton was somehow involved with this. But I, I was just kind of like, wouldn't it have made more sense to have somebody direct this movie that's so mired in this, like, you know, class or, and cultural system better than this white dude, you know, who did, like, a noir film and this movie about, like, suburban mothers, like, losing their mind and stuff like that. And Wonder Boy, and Wonder Boys is sometimes so pretentious because, like, it's all about, like, literary students and literary professors and stuff. It's a totally different world from this. But then I kind of thought, well, if this was, like, say, directed by someone like John Singleton or Spike Lee, this movie would have been very different, not only because it's a different creator, but because I feel that those creators and, and creators like them are more about race. Like, Boys in the Hood is very much race. I, I mean, higher learning is, is incredibly about race. I mean, it has the, um, the, the Nazi skinhead, like, shoot people on the campus clock from the campus clock tower. Um, spoiler alert for higher learning, which I think is just the, the scene that everybody knows from that movie. But that's one of the things that I, I wanted to know if you picked up on. This movie, 8 Mile, is not really about race. Of course they talk about how it's like, oh, we got the white boys in with all the, this, um, this underground like, rap battle scene, which is very heavily you know, uh, black and dominated. And, but it never really focuses on it. Just like we were saying how this movie doesn't focus on homophobia in any real way, I don't think it has really anything to do with race. It really is more of like the poverty aspect of it. What do you think? I would definitely say it doesn't focus on race as hard as it could. Uh, there are moments um, like the the bouncer giving Eminem a hard time at the beginning is about his race. Yes. It's that yes. he's the white boy. But they definitely don't make it like a race war kind of thing. It's It's not like – the white guy against the black people or anything like that. He's not like, he just wants to belong in this and it's, you know, he wants to be accepted for who he is and what he can do. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely say that it doesn't come across, across as like an overly racial movie. And, and it is, uh, predominantly black. I mean, the only white people might be Eminem's family and then the girl that he bangs, uh, and cheddar Bob. <laughs> oh, and cheddar Bob. Yes. Uh, yes. Fucking cheddar Bob. Uh, <laughs> Or MC but, Bob, I mean, you know, what's wrong with Cheddar Bob? <laughs> I like MC Bob better. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of expecting as I was sitting down, you know, for this recording and watching it and, and immersing myself in it, I kind of was, like I said, I didn't remember a lot of this movie, but I was kind of expecting a scene where we were going to get something like, you know, um, maybe at a club or before the club when they're out in the parking lot rapping where, you know, Eminem would like get in there and try to do something and someone would say like, no, like you're a white boy, you can't do this. But that never happens. Like they only think he can't do it because he chokes at the beginning of the movie and he gets made fun of. It's never anything where it's like, you know, racial outcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, except for the bouncer not really giving him his, you know, not really letting him enter. Uh, even with the stamp on his hand. Yes, yeah. Like, that. that is, is really the only instance of, of that particular thing. I mean, they do make... I think they do make fun of him a little bit in the in the last rap battles for being white, but sure. it's, that's not what they're focused on mostly. Exactly. Like the, I'm thinking of, like, the Leave it to Beaver stuff, you know? 
and then but I, I maybe that's the like you're you're right about the whole bouncer at the beginning. That's kind of they get it out of the way. They're like, here you go. He he is an outcast. Like you can see it with your own eyes when you watch this movie. Like it is him, you know, in this sea of people who look very different from him. Like physically look different. And they just movie just goes, yes, we know it. Everybody knows it. We're going to get that out of the way. But then it just moves on. Like there's nothing where, you know, I could also, in a, in a lesser version of this movie, maybe one directed by Spike Lee who's, re- who's really going to hit like race issues and stuff. Maybe it'd be something where the, the family wouldn't be getting evicted because um, of you know, late rent. They'd, be, they'd have to leave because, you know, they're facing racial, you know, the, the, the black community in the trailer park or wherever they live, you know, is, is beating down on them, you know, in, in a negative way or something like that. But the movie doesn't need to do any of that because it's not about that. It's about just coming up from poverty and, and this class system and the subclasses within all these, you know, poor, like, groups of people and i think that's that's a great positive to the movie especially i think it's refreshing where today when i know something ben you and i have talked about a lot um you can go on hbo max hulu anything and you can go to the um the black voices section or the black artist section and so much of that is the same story over and over of you know i am being discriminated against because of my race and it's like it's like it was refreshing to see something that didn't fall back on that uh, I mean, I have to agree, uh, given what I think what you know my my stance is on on how boring that is. Yeah, I mean, it can be done in interesting ways. Like Boys, in sure. the, well, Boys in the Hood is a '90s movie, and that's a very good movie, and it's very much about that. Um, and it, it's not that it can't be done well today. You know, you can make interesting stories. But take for example, Watchmen, the the HBO show, not the Zack Snyder movie, which which I love, um, which is well known, and I get made fun of for loving that movie. And everybody who doesn't like it, I say, well, have you seen the four and a half hour version? And they go, oh god. <laughs> but the TV show, the HBO series Watchmen, when I watch that. It is so much about racism. Like, it is so heavily bogged down in racism. Like, they reveal that Hooded Justice, the first vigilante in the Watchmen universe, was a gay black man. And he faced a lot of, you know, homophobia and racism. And I'm just like, why? I'm like, why did we need this, you know? I'm like, because they don't do anything clever with it. They just say, like, oh, look at the way we've recontextualized the Hooded Justice from the graphic novel. And I'm like... Like that Hooded Justice stood for a lot more when he was just a masked figure and we had no idea what his skin color was. And the, yeah. like it, it's, just, it's like you said, it, it comes across as boring sometimes. I, I want to actually relate this to what I said last well, maybe week. Maybe lazy is a better in, – in that particular instance. In, like... in, yeah, definitely. In writing, sometimes it can come across as, as very, very lazy. Um, I and I I think also this goes to what I said last week um, when we discussed Marnie Ellen Hertzler, her first short film, Growing Girl. I when it was about you know um, harassment that females face in the in the workplace in a man's world you know I I said it then and I'm saying it now about these these stories about racism and stuff like that I'm not saying they're bad stories or you know they don't have purpose or merit I'm saying that. I'm getting tired of them. Like, you need to do something interesting with it to make it, you know, where where I'm, I'm going to sit down and go, oh, wow, that's a clever twist on this, or they're actually doing something that's interesting. I don't need to see another rehash of the same thing, of it's like, oh, this man told me to smile, and that bothered me. It's like, yes, I know it bothered you. I recognize that. But I don't need to hear it for the hundredth time. Same thing with the, the racial discrimination. They're not bad stories. They have their purpose. They're very important to a lot of people. But I'm, I just don't want to, to see it over and over and over. And like I said, that's what made this so refreshing, that it was much more about insecurity and poverty than it was race. Yeah, I, I would have to – I mean, in, in, 
So, and this this could kind of come down to like what I actually relate to. I I don't having never been a, a a person of color or a woman, I don't relate to a lot of those stories. And the people I can relate to in those stories, at least in terms of you know, because they say how important it is that people look like them in stories. Sure. Uh, the people who look like me in those stories suck. Um, <laughs> and the whole time I'm just like, man, that person really fucking sucks. Like I'm I'm thinking of like Sheldon, Co- the guy who plays Sheldon Cooper in Hidden Figures. It's just like, man, you you really like suck in this movie you know you're a dick <laughs> yes um yes. but uh but poverty in class is like that that shit i totally can relate to sure and sure. in in the the poor neighborhoods in, where i'm from race was not a big big factor mm-hmm. like every we all were poor and we all knew that and we had other things to worry about beyond race you yes know? yes like I didn't give a shit about their race. They didn't give a shit about mine. We hung out with each other largely because of convenience. You know, they live near me. I live near them, that kind of thing. But it was race was very rarely a factor. Um, yeah. In I'm, any I'm, of my interactions. I'm glad you bring that up because I'm totally with you. I mean, grow, when I was growing up in New York, I, it, it's kind of weird that, you know, like New York being one of the, you know, the biggest, you know, melting pots or what the term correct term should be what salad bowl. Cause these things don't really blend together. They're more just kind sure. of all co- cohabitating, but it was like, that was another thing. Like race was never that big of a deal. Sure. There were racists. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that type of thing. But when I was growing up, it was much more that like nationalities and religions hated each other, you know, <laughs> like, like the Russians and Brighton beach hated the Jews and stuff like that. And it was, right. it was never about race. And so that's, that's what really, throws me for a loop today like growing up in a world where um that really was an issue just because of where i was culturally of the placement i was you know locationally and culturally and now it's almost the the biggest issue or, or at least the gets pumped into my eyeballs the most well and you know in in my youth uh the mexicans hated the shit kickers but they didn't hate all the white people and mm-hmm. all the white people didn't hate the mexicans it was the cowboys and the mexicans for some reason didn't get along um and i <laughs> sure. and I'll, i i do not know why but there was like a big a big group fight at some point when i was in in high school it was uh, the cowboys versus or i'm sorry the shit kickers versus the mexicans um and yeah we did call them shit kickers uh that was and that, that's the thing is like that, we we had a more derogatory name for the white cowboys than we did for the mexicans <laughs> <laughs> So, like, I don't know. It just – it was never a huge factor. It, it was there at times. I mean, you, you, there were situations where it was like if a cop shows up to the party, we're probably going to let the white guy talk to him. Uh, but sometimes it was a Mexican cop and he was your your friend's uncle. And, sure. you know, it was, I don't know. It just – it was it was such a weird situation to be in. It was like over 30 percent Mexican in the town I grew up in. And um, there just wasn't – I don't know. That was not what we were concerned about. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it it is it is weird for me as well seeing seeing like people talk about how racism is like the the most important topic that's going or you know thing to talk about or thing to care about. And it's just like, I, yeah, if that's a real thing that you're experiencing, like that sucks. Mm-hmm. But I I cannot relate because I just didn't met I didn't deal with people yeah. that were racist like yeah. in a regular basis, you know, and like. I remember visiting my grandma once and she said something about uh, these inward children in the street. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm eight and I know that's wrong. Um, yeah, I, I think I've told you about my my grandfather. Of course, it's a different time. He's He has said some very terrible things about black people. And, um, <laughs> and I mean, it's 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 weird. Um, it's it's difficult. Like you said, even when you're young, you know that it's it, it's it's off putting or incorrect, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just it's 
people grow up around different things, you know, and I, I think in this now that we're so interconnected, it's um, you have these people saying, you know, I they don't maybe maybe they don't think about that where they're just like, this is the issue. And it's like, well, like you said it when we were younger and maybe and even today, I know I'm, I think about this all the time. I have other things that I really need to worry about in my life. Like I can't make certain I can't make every social justice issue my top priority. It's oh, just impossible. Yeah, I mean, I I got shit like student loans coming back and trying to buy a house like i got i got adult problems i don't need i don't need fabricated ones or uh or maybe not fabricated like they might be real problems that exist but they're i I don't know i mean if i if i encounter a racist i'll probably be like dude you're you're a fucking faggot you know what i mean like i'm not yeah i I mean i would definitely be angry about them i I wouldn't you know i i would not want to hang out with them or anything right. like that. I would not want to be associated with them. Um, but it's not like, you know, we can, we can go out of our way and I don't know, report them or. Yeah. What am I going to do? Like, am I going to try to get him fired from his job? Like I got other shit to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, leave that to the Twitter brigade. Cause they seem to love to do that and stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. So yeah, we got off on, like I said, this is, this is going to be this tangent filled episode of all these ideas. Cause the movie brings these ideas forward, which is fantastic. But this came from, you know, well, why didn't somebody like John Singleton or Spike Lee direct this? And I thought it would much more bog down on race, which it isn't, which is good, like I said. So I was really like, well, how the hell did Curtis Hansen get this then? Like the guy who makes you know, Hand It Rocks the Cradle, LA Confidential, Wonder Boys, very different movies, you know, about very oh, different. Yeah, go for it. I, I want to say I, I just Googled this Hand That Rocks the Cradle because I'm interested. I want to watch it. Uh, my Google search suggested that it's on Disney+. Plus. I don't understand. That. <laughs> I do not think that's true. I don't think it's a Disney movie. Like it's like it's not even like a Disney distributed movie, like a Touchstone no, I, or anything. I really have a hard time believing it, but I saw like there was a link that was like watch Hand That Rocks the Cradle on Disney Plus now, <laughs> and it said something like it even mentioned the character Claire, and I like went and looked it up, and sure enough, the character's yeah, name is Claire yeah. in the movie, and I'm like. I fuck I don't know maybe it is I, but uh but anyway Oh my god that that's insane. insane. Okay, yeah. I mean that um if if that is true, which I don't think it is. Um I I, I feel like it is 100% not true. That has to be just some like g- generated algorithm thing where it's just like, you know, whatever movie you t- typed in, add Disney Plus cuz it counts as an advertisement, you know? But if it is, we we would do a a whole episode just on how it's a cinemodity that that's on Disney Plus. <laughs> Anyway, um, so Curtis Hansen, I could not find anything specifically about like how he got the job. I maybe found like one little, uh, some little tidbits here and there. But um, uh, Curtis Hansen is dead. Uh, he, I think he died in 2016. And uh, when he died, there was a lot of retrospectives out about him and stuff like that. Um, and when Eminem was asked or interviewed about him after he passed, what Eminem said was this. And Eminem said, quote, Curtis Hansen believed in me and our crazy idea to make a rap battle movie set in Detroit. He basically made me into an actor for 8 Mile. So I thought that was interesting that Curtis Hansen believed in Eminem. And that's kind of what I found spread out, you know, through all these different areas, uh, all these different articles, which mostly are from when Curtis Hansen passed away, all the retrospectives and stuff like that. It, things along the line of they, they had a lot of directors come on. Um, apparently they wanted Quentin Tarantino to direct this movie, and he had interest but turned it down because he was working on Kill Bill. This movie would be wildly different if Tarantino directed it. Um, but basically, like... Like, everybody came down to, you know, they stated something along the lines of, no one clicked with Eminem like Curtis Hansen did. And, you know, 
as I think about, you know, uh, the um, the stuff about, uh, you know, what we talked about with race, other directors focusing on that type of stuff, uh, maybe other directors, you know, bogged down in the, um, could have got more bogged down in the, like, I gotta get out of the hood, man. Um, Zach and I did an episode on the movie Thriller, which is from 2018 or something, and that movie is so filled with the cliche of, you know, oh, I gotta get my football scholarship to get out of the hood, and it comes off as comical, because every scene someone's saying something like that. Um, but I, I think I'm convinced, like, Curtis Hansen was the right man for this job and he had you know he was able to work with Eminem he was able to make it click and I I mean I think you know in terms of directing in terms of structure in terms of pacing uh, in terms of performances I love them all in this movie performances there's one that I think is absolutely horrendous but we'll get to that because it's a really short one but I mean I'll, I'll put this link in the show notes uh, another article from after Curtis Hansen's death um, it was called Curtis Hansen colon a craftsman who in two movies touched greatness and they talk about LA Confidential and 8 Mile but uh, it's by Owen Gleiberman in um, from Variety and it's really long and I'm not going to read the quotes because I couldn't find like a sentence that really distilled it like he writes a lot about eight mile in the process of it and like all about the mastery that what Hanson brought to the screen and how Hanson really tried to work with Eminem to understand you know this this life of poverty in Detroit and stuff like that working with you know the other people that were in this movie that went through similar things and stuff like that because this movie was filmed on location um in Detroit the, the action, at the end of the credits, it says filmed on location in the 313. And um, so a lot of the extras nice. were people from Detroit. And Curtis Hansen, like, really, really tapped into that, where he's not from that culture. I mean, you know, he's, he's all over the place. He's much more better off than, you know, anyone in Detroit, I think. Um, you know, maybe a little privileged, some might say. But he was able to tap in and be like, Eminem, like, make me understand this stuff. People of Detroit, make me understand this stuff. And that's what someone needs to do. I mean, I don't. I, I won, you know, maybe to go off on yet another tangent, we've talked about how there's a big movement in this these modern era where it's like, well, we don't want people telling stories that they don't have experience with. I know, Ben, you and I have talked about um, uh, they, they want what we've talked about. They want um, like black voice actors to voice black characters or, or people of the same ethnicity to voice the characters that are that yeah. ethnicity. I think we've talked about it with comic book artists and stuff like that. You know, um, they want people of yeah. those things drawing those people and stuff like that representation i mean i i am all for that we want that representation but i'm at the same time i'm i don't really think we should be telling anybody to be like no you can't tell that story because maybe it'll come across as bad i mean i think of like steven spielberg with the color purple like is steven spielberg the the person to be making like the color purple like that very african-american like i think very steeped in slavery type movie maybe not but who are we to say it's like well no you can't tell that story. And I think Curtis Hansen in 8 Mile, or working on 8 Mile, is the, the perfect reason to say that. Because if you have someone who is maybe empathetic, to use the right word, and can connect with the subject matter, they're going to tell that story just as well, I would say, as somebody who's lived through it. Um, it's, it's about the whole idea is that if you're a creator, you know, if the best, or maybe a leader, a manager, anything... The best thing you can do is surround yourself with the smartest people that you can find because they're yeah. going to be able to point out, well, what did you like? What don't you understand? Here's how to fix it. And when they're open minded, like I think Curtis Hansen is, it, it's going to lead to a great product. It's going to feel as authentic as if someone who has really had that experience has or very close to it, a, a very close, you know, representation or simulation of it. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I kind of want to point out, like, when it comes time to do a job, like, Generally, don't you just want the best person for the job doing it? And so when it comes time to create a direct a movie, mm -hmm. 
Don't you want someone who's a good director? Yeah. yeah. Like, don't you want someone who's a good director before you want someone who, uh, like, isn't somebody who's a good director also going to be somebody who does the research for the job they're doing? Like, when I, when it comes time to buy new windows, like, I generally don't install windows myself. Mm -hmm. I have someone else do it because they know how to install windows. Uh, Do they understand my house? No. Do, do they know all the, the weirds in, 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 ins and outs of, of my house? No, they don't. But do they know how to install Windows? Yes. Whenever I need an app written, I write it myself. And I, I guess the point I'm getting at is fucking get somebody who, who is good at the job and can learn enough about, about it to do it. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's who should do it. I mean, the, the person who, who gives you the, you know, the best return on your, on your investment. Um, so like I, I would ideally want the most qualified person. I'm with you. Uh, yeah. If there's someone who's a really good director who also happens to be really connected to that environment. Sure. Maybe they're the most qualified person, but if there's not, then find a really good director who's good at learning about environments they're not in. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's the whole thing of, you know, um, you like, you want someone who's going to immerse themselves in this world, in this story, try and uh, try their best and hopefully succeed, you know, as to the best of their ability in understanding it and things like that. And, you know, and not just, and not just do it for show. I mean, you know, I feel like that's kind of maybe we're eking up on that where I think that's the whole thing of like, um, Disney and Pixar these days when they, when they tell these stories, you know, um, God, even not just these days, um, like I'm, I'm thinking back in the day, like the, the big Disney movies where, you know, you have Lion King, it's like Disney's tribute to Africa. And it's like, well, what'd you do? And the, what'd you do? Like, how'd you learn about this? And the, um, and like the writer and director, they're like, we, we went to Africa for four days. And it's like, that sounds more like a vacation, you know? Um, even when they directed Moana, they were like, well, how, what'd you do to, to like get in touch with the culture? And they're like, we went to Hawaii for four days. And it's like, that's, that was a vacation, right? You know? <laughs> But I, I think there's something there where, you know, you don't want to just do it for show. You want to actually have someone that's going to learn. And I think, you know, maybe we're getting into more of the the people doing it for show, maybe to check those boxes, than actually doing it and actually putting in the time and effort to fully understand it. Um, and, of course, now movies have I, become such a, a money scheme that it may be, you know, four days is all they'll get or anything like that. I'm I'm curious why they needed to go to Africa when they could have just watched National Geographic. Lion King's about... <laughs> About animals. Yes. Like, were the animals particularly African in culture? <laughs> I don't. I don't think they were. No, no. It was. It was. It, I think just the art, the background art, was like modeled after it and stuff like that. It's. It's all. It's all. I mean, Disney's always been fucked up in that way. I mean, even think about Mulan when they did the live action Mulan and everything was like, oh, it's gonna, you know, be so. It's gonna be so, you know, uh, true to Chinese culture and stuff like that. And then it comes out, and you know, there's shit where. Like, um, I, I remember watching some video of, there's some good videos of like people breaking down where it's like, these are all the things Mulan got wrong and this is how they could have fixed them, you know, very easily. Um, where it's like stuff, the houses in Mulan, like didn't exist in China until like 1500 years after Mulan was supposed to be alive and stuff like that. Or the the person, the ballad is based on, you know, that type of thing. And so, yeah, it's all, uh, these days it's all for show. And I'm with you. We want the person who's right for the job, who's going to, like, surround themselves with the right people, who's going to be able to, like, understand and take the criticism and, and fix things. And, and I, I don't know if we really have a lot of that anymore. And also on that, I, I always have to make the joke, one of the reasons that um, – and this is very flippant, but of course I think it's funny. One of the reasons that I hate the idea of, you know, it's like, well, we can only have, you know, people tell these stories if they have experienced them. 
I mean, okay, next time you make a goddamn outer space movie, you're gonna need an astronaut to direct it, and it's gonna suck. He doesn't know how to direct a movie. I mean, what's gonna happen when we do, like, um, like when they do, um, like, the Amazon Lord of the Rings? Who's directing that? Somebody who lived in Middle-earth? Who directed the Harry Potter movies? No one's ever been to fucking Hogwarts. It doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you just limit yourself so much whenever, whenever you insist that works of fiction. Yes. It's like... I don't know. It's just dumb. It's like like Lord of the Rings. Like nobody lives in Middle Earth. Or you don't know any fucking elves. Yep. I mean, you could probably get Peter Dinklage to direct it because he's the closest <laughs> thing you're going to find to a dwarf. <laughs> I mean, and of course, that's a reference to what we were talking about earlier with yeah. Peter Dinklage. But but it's just a waste of time and it's a waste of breath. Yes. To suggest. Yes. And I mean, in any any actor or artist of any kind that's worth their salt, like if they're venturing out into an art form. Like, for one, they're going to take it seriously. And for two, like, if they're a good artist, they'll probably do well at it. Um, yep, yep. Even if even if that comes like and, and, you know, so like, what do you need? You, you you might really want somebody who really understands the culture you're in and somebody who's really good at directing movies who can work well together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the shit that you, like I, anyway, I don't know. I've, I've said it to death. Yeah. yeah. What I'm your skin you. color is doesn't doesn't dictate your ability to direct movies. It doesn't. Yep. It just doesn't. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think just to echo again, you know, what we've been saying, like, um, I think, you know, um, Eminem said Curtis Hansen believed in me. He knew how to, like, make me, you know, into an actor for this movie. Um, you know, no one clicked with Eminem like he did. And that that's what you need, you know? That that's, makes perfect sense to me, that you find someone that clicks, you find someone that's going to care about that story and really get the best out of it. That's, that's all we can hope for. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. Maybe so now. Okay, here's some other things I found out about Eight Mile that I um that I, I thought were awesome. Uh, one, I I knew this movie was successful. It's a famous movie. I always kind of thought it was you know um more famous because of Eminem's famousness, and it was really kind of I I kind of had in my head in like the last ten years or something. It's like oh Eight Mile, you know, it's um like Eminem fans love that, or like rap fans love that, or something along those lines. What I didn't realize is that this movie made bank. It cost forty million dollars. It made $243 million at the box office. And then get this, it reportedly made $75 million in DVD sales in its first week of release. Oh my god. It was the highest grossing debut for an R-rated DVD ever at the time. Can you imagine how many fucking people bought the DVD to get $75 million? That's, I thought that was wild. (laughs) Yeah, that's insane. I, I did not realize it was that successful yeah yeah that's what i'm saying i'm like oh my god that's crazy and then okay uh, now let's let's really start to get into the the movie but we have to talk about this is going to be i think the big like song street portion of the episode lose yourself lose yourself wins the grammy for best rap song and it wins the oscar for best original song yes if anybody did not know Eminem has an Oscar. <laughs> it's the first rap hip-hop song to ever win the uh, Academy Award for Best Original Song. And when I read this, um, you know, after watching the movie, I, I was reminded, of course, because you hear the song in you Lose Yourself, you hear it in the movie, and then it plays over the end credits. Um, one of the, the better end credits experiences I have watching a movie, because usually, I, I, I mean, I always watch the credits, but usually it's just some, like, random song or something or it's just like score or whatever um but this was when i like i'm like oh yeah i get to watch the credits and listen to the entirety of lose yourself lose yourself is truly an amazing piece of art 
Like, I, I don't think it's, it's not like one of those songs where it's like, you know, oh, it's just a really good rap song or it's like a really good Eminem song. Like, when I revisited Lose Yourself for this recording, I was like, holy shit, like, this is just an excellent piece of composition and lyrics. And the other thing is that it's timeless. You know, it, it's, it's not the, the diss track or the, the, like, talking shit that we hear a lot of in this movie. It really is about, like, you know, the emotion, the anger, the, you know, the poverty. Um, it blends in stuff from the movie, of course. I love that line. He's like, this ain't no movie. This, there's no Mackay Pfeiffer, you know, stuff like that. Right. And I'm just like, it's one of those songs where I'm like, it is truly a masterpiece. Like, it is one of the greatest songs of all time, I think. What do you think about Lose Yourself? And of course, I mean, we might have personal favorites of Eminem over Lose Yourself, but I mean, Lose Yourself is truly a masterpiece. What do you think? I don't know that I've analyzed it to that level. I definitely liked it a lot and listened to it a lot, you know, when it when it came out around this movie. And and definitely the message it gives is is great, which is like, you know, when you got your one shot, are you gonna are you gonna let it slip? Yep, yep. Um, and and you know, so I, I definitely I agree that it's timeless, um, just from the content alone. And I, you know, like I said, I, I really enjoy it, but I, I'd have to listen to it again to see if I agree with it. Sure, it'd be a masterpiece. Sure. I mean, it is Eminem, and I do like a lot of what he does. <laughs> so it's I I think it's quite possible it's a masterpiece, but I I can't say for certain. Sure. I also think, uh, you know, a testament to, to its, um, its legacy, its importance. Um, it's, it has somewhat become a meme, which, uh, you know, could, could be good or bad. You know, we talked about in a Shrek episode. Um, I, I read and posited that I think Shrek is a meme because people hate it and they need to make fun of it. Um, but they don't realize that they hate it. You know, we, we've done that before, but I mean, mom spaghetti, People still to this day talk about Mom's Spaghetti. <laughs> I, I think Eminem actually opened a restaurant recently called Mom's Spaghetti. Yes, I'm glad you bring that up because I wanted to get to that when we got to snacks. I found that as well. <laughs> it's called Mom's Spaghetti. <laughs> um, uh, but, I mean, also, uh, you know, you think of uh, the, the saying, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Maybe not imitation. Oh, well, in this case, I'm not thinking of imitation. I'm thinking of parody. I mean, this song was parodied to death. I think the most famous one was when um, I'll put the clip in because because uh, it's so goddamn funny. But it's the Dave Chappelle sketch, a Chappelle show sketch where he's making fun of it, where he Chappelle's like rapping in the studio, and you know he's saying stuff where he's like, you know, turn my headphones up, I can't hear. Turn my headphones up, and everybody in the sound booth is just like bopping their heads. He's like, this is not part of the song. I can't hear. Turn my headphones up. And then when the sketch goes on, he's like starts rapping. He goes, spaghetti, 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 spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it's tapping into the thing where it's like, for some reason, Eminem has written a song that has like culturally pervaded. Like even like if you watch that out of context and you just like, don't watch the whole sketch. You just see Dave Chappelle, like in a sound booth with the headphone on his ear going spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. Everybody's going to go, Oh yeah, Eminem, you know, like it's, it's, it's so culturally significant. Where you from when you're leaving nice shirt. Does it come in your size? Do I come to your job and smack the broom out your hand? Something needs to happen with this comedy thing right now. Definitely. Spaghetti, spaghetti. <laughs> that's really funny. Oh, I, yeah. I've never seen this. That's that's hilarious. Oh, oh god, yeah, it is fucking great. Chappelle is great. <laughs> so the uh, something else I want to bring up about the song "Lose Yourself," and this is something I didn't, I don't think I realized when I was younger. Throughout the movie, we we hear 
bits and pieces of lose yourself a lot. Yes. But there are so many times where like lyrics are removed from it for the the part of the song that plays in the movie. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I was like, I because at first when I heard that, I was like, I think a line is missing there. And I'm like, did they take it out because there was like a curse that would like a swear word that would, you know, change the tone of the scene. But I some of the lines, I don't think so. I think it was like, you know, a like a, a composition, like score choice where like, you know, Eminem it wanted was, to you know, like highlight certain things for that moment. I, I I think it was a symbolism thing. I think the the idea was that we were hearing part of a song that eventually does get completed, but oh. it was incomplete at the moment. Oh, I like that. So, sure. So we were, we were hearing the growth of the song, lose yourself as it relayed, you know, at like right alongside or over top the growth of B rabbit as a character. Yes. That's, that's a great take on it. Absolutely. I mean, because I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think there's a scene where, um, we, we hear just the instrumental, like, through his headphones or something. And you're right, right. That makes me think, like, oh, he has the beat. You know, now he's got to cut the words over it. And then there's a right. scene where he's working on the stuff for the uh, the battle at the shelter when, you know, his little sister's uh, coloring and they're in the same room. And, you know, that I think that's a moment where we're hearing the music and then we're getting some of those, like, single lines thrown in. And they are very, you know, terse and they're very separated. Oh, God, that's a really neat idea, Ben, that, you know, we're we're hearing it. And then I think that goes into the idea that at the end of the movie, over the end credits, we hear the completed song. Exactly. That's so cool. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's fucking neat. Like, who would expect, like, that level of art? In this movie, that's just like a rap hood movie. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's I think that's a lot of what I want to talk about with scenes in this movie: the artistry of the symbolism, the the, the stuff, the um, you know, the implications are so dense. Is like that's why I loved it so much. I'm not just watching a oh I gotta get out of the hood movie, which it kind of comes across as in like the first twenty minutes, you know, when when they're doing the Sweet Home Alabama rap and he's like, you know, living at home yeah. in trailer. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like a really doing that. and Brittany Murphy shows up and she's like I'm saving up to I just gotta get out of here I gotta go to New York and I'm like oh I'm like okay I'm like I get it everybody's looking crushed by poverty ticket. yeah looking for my ticket I'm like okay let's get it but then once that's set up it the movie just becomes so artful with it and and it's just oh my god it's amazing I guess I, I gotta get to it because Curtis Hansen is so good at this stuff the I think the best scene in the movie well in terms of artistry and stuff like that I think objectively the best scene in the movie is the last rap battle all three yeah. of those rap battles, like, it's fucking immaculate, um, which I want to talk more about. But in terms of, like, thematics and artistry, I think my favorite scene in the movie is the scene when Eminem beats up Wink when he's fucking um, Brittany Murphy, Alex, in the recording booth. And mm -hmm. when he's beating him up, it intercuts between them actually fighting in the dark in that studio room and the interview with Big O. And the interview with Big O on the other side of the soundproof glass. And you can't hear Eminem and Wink fighting, but you can see them. And the things that are being said in that interview are all about, like, you know, Big O saying, man, I'm doing it for the, uh, the, the 313 or the 810. I'm doing it for Detroit. I'm doing it for the love of where I came from. You know, he's like, I'm so glad that I've gotten to this point because, you know, I'm doing it for the people. I'm doing it for the scene that I grew up in, where I grew up, my family and stuff like that. And that's, that's the same reason Eminem is doing this stuff. You know, he wants respect from the the community. He wants, you know, better for his family. He wants respect for himself and I think better for himself. But the juxtaposition of hearing somebody say, well, this music is about the love for where I came from, juxt juxtapose that with 
all of the violence and anger and sex and emotion that has to go on in the background, you know? It's it's like you're seeing the facade of when someone becomes successful and they're saying, like, oh, I'm doing it for the love. But you're also seeing in the movie all of the pain right behind it. And I love the fact that it is literally behind it through this soundproof glass. Because when you're listening to this music, rappers might be rapping about the tough times they had, you know, back in the day and in the hood and whatnot. But you don't hear any of that. You don't see any of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I love that juxtaposition. I feel it gets at the essence of this movie. No, I I, I, I didn't pick up on it when watching it, but, but you're totally right. Like, we get um, the symbolism of the fighting being behind the success is, uh, is so fantastic. I, what I was thinking about more during that scene is that we were seeing uh, the future that Eminem wanted Sure. But that he was ruining for himself by fighting over this woman that didn't matter, which I, you know, I, I, I connecting it to what you've said, I, I don't I don't know that I can. But but that's what I was thinking about this whole time is like, this is where he could have been. He could have been having this interview with with what they call Darush or whatever. Yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah. It, like he was he was there to have like a discussion with that guy. But now because because Wink is fucking this sloop. Which is, you know, like I, I'm not a fan of of the derogatory sex words, but uh, <laughs> but I, I definitely think Brittany Murphy's character. She's already said she's looking for a ticket, and she, at this point, she thinks Wink might be her ticket. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's banging Wink, whereas earlier she thought B Rabbit might be her ticket because he had skills. After their, so she that, be rabbit. That, that sex scene is so weird. Not to cut you off, but real quick, that sex scene with them behind like the pallets oh, yeah, and stuff is yes, so weird. Yeah. Standing and then, up in the factory. Yeah, and then when they're done, she's like, "You were so good outside." And Eminem says, "In line at a lunch cart." <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the lunch truck. Yeah. Um, I was like, "What the fuck?" I was like, "This is so strange." <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that sex scene is really weird. But like, yeah, so like, I was definitely, I was definitely viewing that scene as more of like the back and forth between like. The, the reality he wants and then like the things that he might have to do that, that kind of violate his own um, sense of self to get to that reality through the character of Wink. And sure. so like, I, I was definitely viewing it as like, this is where he could be if he was willing to sell himself. But at the same time, he's willing to give this all up for something that doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that interpretation. I also think it goes along with other themes of the movie, like specifically, you know, um, B-Rabbit not wanting to uh, do the rap battle, getting mad at Future when he signs him up, and, you know, he has that line, he's like, I'm so sick of you thinking you know what's fucking best for me, and that type of stuff. Right. Um, and that I think that totally, you know, that's B-Rabbit's growth in this movie, is that he has to realize, you know, that he has to do things for himself, he wants to do things, like when he gets better at his his job and stuff like that, even though he dips out of work at the end to go to the uh, rap battle. Yeah. Um, but but you're totally right. I mean, and that's also the mastery of this is that, you know, this one scene, this interview scene with the fighting and the interview going on, it, it's it's that dense. Like, you look at it at the surface level and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, okay, someone's getting interviewed. People are fighting in the soundproof booth. When I was watching it, I totally thought um, they were going to, like, catch the interviewer's eye or something. And on air, they're going to be like, yo, we got people fighting over here, you know. Right. But it's never noticed. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, here we go. It's so well done. It's so dense. And, and that's what really clicked with me in this movie where I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is this is so artistic. This is so thematic. It's not, like I said, just a, I got to get out of the hood movie movie it's it's a really like deep investigation of what it means like to want to get out of the hood and on out from the crushing poverty and insecurity yeah definitely uh but it also like in that moment there's there's also 
the kind of exploration of what your reputation means in the hood. Sure, sure. Um, like, in that, in that situation, like, okay, so perhaps Eminem is jealous uh, or he, he thinks Alex is his girl and he, he's mad that Wink is, is boning her. Mm-hmm. But he's he's banged this chick one time after seeing her for two minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's tough to believe that he has that kind of emotional connection with her. There's also the level of you don't let someone else bang your chick without consequences in the hood. Sure. Like, that's not that's not something that's okay or tolerable. And that would lead to, uh, to an impact on his reputation that would be bad. Uh, and he's already experienced a lot of reputational harm because he choked. So like, I don't know. There's just, there's even that layer to it where it's like this, while this is a stupid thing to do in this moment, this is something that is so important for his reputation in the hood that him not doing it could be as bad as him doing. Absolutely, yeah, and I I think that is also um, compounded with him, which is set up earlier in the movie. Um, his he he definitely has you know some uh, protection over his family, and I think it's very important that his family in this movie is entirely female. Um, you know, he has his mother and his little sister, and then this one other woman comes into his life. Well, there's also Janine, the ex girlfriend, and then there's you know Alex who comes into this. I think there's and it, what I'm saying is I think it's set up where you know he cares so much for the little sister, and we even get those scenes where he is clearly pissed off when his friends are making like comments about how hot his mom is, and yeah. you know it definitely comes across that when oh god the um I don't remember all the the gang friends names, but um what's his uh, Omar Benson Miller uh. The, the the big one the fat one in the group when soul. he's so, oh so okay and he's always yeah, I, t- I guess I think they call him Soul because he's as big as the sun but I'm not certain <laughs> okay maybe it's because he's a ball of energy or he's happy or something oh, I like that I like that uh, but like when when they're making comments when he's making comments about you know going to to like hit up you know B Rabbit's mom and stuff like that. Like it doesn't come off like that comes across as very joking, you know. It's it's one of those like think jabs between friends. But Eminem doesn't come back with you know very much like oh haha I know it's a joke and like don't say that. He's like don't say shit about my mom and don't say shit about the car she gave me and stuff like that. Like he is angry about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's um I mean that's a big part of, of growing up in those kind of those kind of environments. And you know obviously uh, the place I grew up is is very different than Detroit, but there's still a lot of those elements of. Mm-hmm. of your name and your reputation matter. And if somebody says something about you that is in any way that can be conceived as disrespectful, if you don't call it out, you're a bitch. Sure. And if you're a bitch, then you get stepped on. And like, you know, your your whole life gets harder because you didn't call this out. So it's actually easier to call somebody out than it is to not call them out and start that confrontation. Whereas like that's the exact opposite of most people's realities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm even thinking with the um, with the anger in in B Rabbit, the great characterization of all the emotions that come through him um, when uh, when he pulls the legs out from the free world guy when he's standing yeah. on the car. I'm like, oh, I'm like that is nasty. Like that's a rough move to do to that dude. But he's just like pissed, and that he's just like, I see an opening, and I'm going to take it. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, and that that is some shit. Like, well, you know, where I'm from, you would 
like people would look back on that and they wouldn't think that Eminem was in the wrong. They'd be like, you're kind of stupid for being up there where he could do that. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, you yeah. put yourself in a very vulnerable position and talked a lot of shit. What did you think was going to happen? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. High ground didn't help him at all. <laughs> no <laughs> little, no. little tick or whatever that one's name is. I don't I, All yeah. the names I don't like, they come and go so fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. And for the most part, they don't matter. Uh, now he wasn't, yeah, I think, I think you're right. That was a little tick. Because uh, that was that the guy he choked against in the first battle? Yes, yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because then in the in the later battles, he battles what Lickety Split and Lotto, and then Papa Doc. Yes, of course. yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I do love all the names. I mean, you know, Future's a good name. It was definitely kind of tough watching this movie where they called Makai Fi for Future, and I'm like, Future is a ra- real rapper these days, you know, like, um, oh. and, um, he has that, he's the rapper with the real deep voice, does a lot of stuff with Drake. And I'm always like, I, like when I hear it, I'm like, it's not future. It's Mackay Pfeiffer. And, you know, <laughs> but then even future, he has that thing where the girl's like, why do they call you future? He's like, I've had a lot of names. What he says, like maximum, uh, he's and stuff like that. But then somebody called me the future of rap in Detroit. And so there it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's all these little side characters. They have such great characterization, and I love that we get to hear, you know, like all of them rap t- to some extent or another. I think, with the exception of Cheddar Bob, I think Cheddar Bob uh, just stands around for the most part. Cheddar Bob just stands. I don't think Soul or his brother really rap either. So, so I, I, I'm glad you bring it up because Soul has one small part in um, when they're in the parking lot before, when the Shintigi girls. Yeah, yeah, and he. Like, I'm uh, Soul. I'll put the clip in, but it's only like 15 seconds long or something. Soul is doing like this very like reggae style type of rap where he's like. I love that. I was like, yo, this is awesome. I was like, I could listen to this for another two minutes or something. <laughs> See me without a styles like mustard without the hinds. I lead the new school. You're a buster without the rhymes. I crush the shit out the line. Now I'm the Nashiki smoking the lick licking. Ten freaky girls inside the chain ticket. Yeah, when you see me, you better so believe me. This and a game and pimp it ain't easy. Anything goes when it comes to house. I'm the kingpin when it comes to flowers. You better ask someone if you don't know. When you see me, girls say, what up, though? Ten freaky girls. Ten, ten, ten freaky girls. Shit, look, man. Yeah, no, that, that, that is definitely fun. But I don't think his brother really Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, um, the, the brother... Um, playing a very very uh, if we don't respect these women who who, who, who yeah who's gonna respect the sisters yes that, that kind of guy and then he's the one who's there's the whole thing where he's like you know they they're too busy you know taking pocket money for out of the pockets of people they're not taking down these um you know dilapidated these abandoned buildings yeah, yeah and and he's the one like um it's a it's a it could have been your sister rabbit you no know, that's shadow that says that but. yeah the the character um, exists in like Boys in the Hood, that type of character, like, you know, stand up, like power to the people type of thing. It's made fun yeah. of in um, Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. You know, it's really embellished where, um, you know, it, it, it's over the top if you've never seen that movie. But I mean, it's an it's a common archetype. But I, I once again, I mean, I don't think this movie played into it too much where I'm just like, oh, like, come on, get over it, you know, or I, did, I maybe not get over it, but I never thought where, you know, that character was put there just to say those lines. Like, it wasn't just the character who's meant to have the message. He actually had personality. He actually was a part of the group. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I did enjoy them ragging on him a little bit. They were like, what the fuck's he talking oh, about? Yeah, yeah. would they, like, say it in unison? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was great, yep. <laughs> But uh, but no, he he does like he well he plays an important role in that he's the reason they burned down that abandoned house. Yes, yes. Um, 
which I guess is kind of an inconsequential thing. It's just a a showing of of their feelings towards their world. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, t- I think of that scene, the the house burning down scene, very similar to the um shooting the the paintball rifle at the at the signs oh, okay. and the cop yeah. car where it's just like, well, this, this is stupid. This is definitely, you know, in a, in a rational, logical train of thought, these are stupid things to do, but that's kind of, once again, it's like the product of Still that community. In. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, so definitely the pain, I'm glad you brought up the paintball gun thing. Cause they're like, uh, you know, B rabbit shoots the, the cop car. Yep. And, and like the whole time, whenever they, whenever they're, he's getting ready to shoot the cop car or when he shoots it, they're like, no, like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then they're driving away and then they hear sirens and then they're like shocked Pikachu face. Yes. Like what? <laughs> there yeah. would be a cop here? Like, how did this happen? Which I just, I just thought that was so funny. It's like, why are they so shocked? So they knew this was going to happen. Oh yeah, and I mean, also in terms of the um, like the directing, I love that the camera's on like the right side of the car, and you know what, everybody else they're shooting signs, they're shooting it like near people's heads and stuff like that, and then Eminem gets the gets the paintball gun, and he's like, "Future, take the wheel," and he gets out, you know, like um, like, a, like Grand Theft Auto, the yeah, like yeah. Grand Theft Auto style or something, and then it cuts to like the view, like I said, from the car, from like the right passenger seat, you know, and you see um. The bus, like they're driving past a big bus, and shoot the bus. Um, shoot yeah, the bus. immediately as the camera's moving forward, and you see this big bus, and you can't see the corner of the street coming up. I'm like, oh, a cop's gonna be there. Like it's it's very overly telegraphed, I think. And mm. when I saw it, when I thought that, you know, in the moment, because it's a very quick scene, I'm like, oh, they're gonna see a cop, and they're gonna freak out, and you know, the cop's gonna follow him or something like that. And I I thought the scene was gonna go down where they were gonna freak out. Eminem was maybe like gonna throw the gun and like get back in the car real quick or something. But when he he just shoots it i'm like did not expect that because b rabbit didn't know a cop was there he couldn't see past that bus he made that no. decision in like a split second and just what that adds to his character is so phenomenal as a depth of where he's like yeah i'm at that point in the movie he's like yeah i am impulsive i am just ready to do things he's like if i'm sitting on this you know outside of this moving car with a paintball rifle planning to shoot it i'm gonna shoot it nothing's gonna stop me from that <laughs> Right. Of course, then they're bothered by the consequences, which I also love the shot because the car dies and it, when they turn and it's slowly rolling into the alley and there's just yeah. sirens in the background. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But then, of course, you know, the cop probably didn't see him or anything. And, and yeah, you know, drives by. Yeah, it yeah. Their lights are off and shit because the car died. So it's like, yeah, the, the, they just drive right by. And then there's that scene where they're like, no, you were scared. No, you were scared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but no, that that's like that definitely rings true to to my youth, and I'm sure it does some to yours. Like there were definitely moments where it was like, do this stupid thing just to prove that you are not a bitch. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, for my friends, like climb on top of this elementary school or or jump off of this wall or or whatever, or or you know, talk shit to that to this person or yeah. There's something know. I I mean I'm sure it goes for a lot of people. I think you know I, I would imagine. Um, like for the ninety nine percent of it, of at least you know people growing up in in America, that's the culture we're talking about. Probably I would even extend it to say probably the whole world. When you're young and stupid, for some reason the phrase or phrases like "do it, you won't" hold so much power. <laughs> you won't do it, bitch. Yeah, it's like the chicken thing from Back to the Future, which makes no sense. But when you think about it, just some of your other idiot friends going, "Yeah, do it, you won't." Why does that hold so much power? But it does. <laughs> You just can't have them looking down on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
I just saw it in my notes. Another another line that I wrote down because I did remember this one f- from all these years because it's a great line. Uh, when the free world uh, guy on standing on top of the car says to Saul, "I bet if I kicked you in the chest, pork chops would fall out your ass." <laughs> <laughs> well, that he, he's always stuck with me. Soul. Uh, oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah, because he's he's doing a little bit of a rap there. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a good one. Uh, lots of good shit talking in this movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, of course, uh, the best shit talking is all at the end. And I kind of wish uh, that is one thing I, I did think watching this movie is like I do wish there were better rap scenes throughout the movie instead of just at the end. Sure, sure. But then again, how you know the end has to be impactful. So oh god, and. It. Is it impactful, man? I mean, like, I love that you know. There's three of them, like you, like you mentioned, the three people he uh, he he rap battles, and the the first one, you know, this was something I remember that it ended with the rap battle and him succeeding because you know or, or winning the rap battle. Because of course, that's the one of the great you know s- the simplicity of the structure of this movie. Rap battle at the beginning, he chokes. Rap battle at the end, he wins. You know, it's it's a very common story structure, but this movie pulls it off masterfully because at the end, you know, he does that first rap battle. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, that was good. At least, you know, he rapped. I, I didn't really like, well, I wasn't attached to like that round one type thing. Um, I, I didn't think of it as, as like great or anything. The second one gets better because he flips the whole leave it to beaver thing. And he, he really starts to be getting into his element. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm into this a little bit more. And then the last one against Anthony Mackie against Papa Doc, it is fucking immaculate like it is it is it's now I, i'm glad that i got to rewatch this and remember this scene because it is now i think one of the best scenes in movie history not only because of the energy that's in that whole whole segment you know when eminem gets all the hands going up and down at the start of his 90 seconds but just the idea that everything he raps about because he gets to go first against anthony mackie because what papa doc says like i'll let this bitch go first or something like that yeah, and Eminem just he everything he raps about in that ninety seconds is it's everything it needs to be thematically. It takes everything that's happened in the movie and condenses it in a musical way that you know basically says it's like, hey, this is the movie you just watched. And as Eminem says at the end, he's like, I'm gonna own it. You know, the whole thing of like, you know, now tell everybody something they that they don't know about me. Yeah, he says something like, here's the mic I'm adding to tell all these people something they don't know about me. Yeah, and it is so goddamn good. I'm like that. I'm, it was wonderful. It's, it's very powerful. It's yeah. chilling, absolutely. And then you know, even in that whole thing where uh, like when he's rapping, he's like, yeah, I got a dumb friend named Cheddar Bob who shoots himself with his own gun and stuff. Like he's literally mm-hmm. recapping the movie and he's taking all these experiences that we've watched him struggle with and he's turning it into this art and. It's it's one of my favorite sayings. Well, you know, great misery creates great art. But yeah, go for it. He, well, he and he's doing this thing in in shit talking where it's like, if 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 you can shit talk yourself in a way that makes other people laugh or they enjoy it, you take a lot of power away from anybody else. Yes, absolutely. Um, nobody else can shit talk you, and that's what that's exactly what he does. He's like, I I know every, every arrow in your quiver, and let me shoot them for you. Yes. Uh, oh, and God, and I so I thought that that was that was like. Well, it, it, so we also have to discuss like in the first in the first battle where he chokes, he I think loses the flip and the guy chooses to go first or no, he wins the flip and, and he and he tells the guy to go first and then and then the yeah. guy goes and then and then him and him chokes. And and the guy he was battling against in that first one like wasn't necessarily a great rapper. That was a little tickle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then going into the to the final battles, like the first the first time him and him loses the flip and Lickety splits like I'll go first against this choke artist. Yeah. And, and so by choosing to go first, like he's putting in this himself in this situation where Eminem gets to respond to him, 
but he doesn't get to respond to Eminem. And that that's like a really I, I don't really understand the structure of these battles for whatever reason they, they do it this way where it's like just one in one. Um, there's not there's not a chance to respond mm-hmm. um, for both people because responding is obviously the more powerful position to be in. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Like you have some ammunition. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so, of course, B-Rabbit's character is like, well, I, I want to respond. That's obviously the most advantageous position. And then in the second one, he he wins the flip and he says, "Exhibit, you're gonna or is it a, no? That's not exhibit. That's um, I don't uh, remember who. Yeah, I don't remember the name. Well, Lotto yeah. is his name. <laughs> sure, and sure. He's like, all right, you're you're gonna go first. But then Papa Doc's like, this bitch can go first. Like he he takes like he puts him and him in the situation where he's like, I took the one advantage that you've had in all these battles away from you. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And then Eminem's like, well, I'm gonna take everything away from you. DJ, kick that shit. so good and i mean even i didn't write a lot of those lines down but all the everything he spits in that final 90 seconds is so powerful like i said not even the whole um like t- taking his experiences oh, oh from god. the movie the, but the shit that he says about claire yes like yeah, i love like, that oh my god he, i didn't he thinks he's a gangster but his real name's clarence yes. clarence lives at home with both parents and clarence's parents got a real good marriage it's so good <laughs> that and i think that's the the moment when um when when he's doing that stuff about clarence and uh, specifically that line you mentioned when he's saying clarence's parents have a real good marriage he's doing that like high-pitched nasally thing that yeah. eminem does and i'm like that's the first time he's doing it in this movie like he's actually showing his his style as a rapper in that final performance in this movie, and it comes together so well. Choose. Lotto on you, baby. 
you first. Don't matter. DJ, spin that shit. I didn't favorite it. I didn't like it on Letterboxd, so I, I won't scroll to read it exactly or credit who it was. But the the Letterboxd review was something like, I know a guy named Clarence, and th- he said this movie ruined his life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, but, but I also, like, given the environment that these people grew up in, a lot of single-parent homes, uh, the fact that him saying that Clarence's parents are still married. Yes. Like, that's a dig in this world. And he like, went to boarding school, and, uh... Yeah, he's, uh, he, Cranbrook... Cranbrook's a private school. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. And that's also what I was saying about, like, taking everything from the movie. It's so wonderfully set up that they're at that... I think right before they burn, they go and burn down the house, they're at, like, somebody's house or, like, Wink's house, or, and they're having, like, an after party from the, the Chintiki Club, and Eminem goes to one of those girls, and he's like, you know Papa Doc? And you're like, oh, you mean Clarence? Like, he went to this 
school with me and that type so, of thing. He went to Cranbrook with my brother or with her like, with her brother. Yeah, and it's like it's such a tiny detail, but then it, when it comes back and Eminem utilizes it in such a way to like you said to like take things from and he even starts that whole bit in the in the performance when he's like you know like i i you like i'm gonna tell everything about me that you're gonna use but now i know some shit that these people don't know about you and it's just like taking all these little bits of information like showing the 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 care that this character has for the things he hears for the experiences he go through goes through and he's able to use it in such a way oh my god it's it's immaculate it is so fucking good like i swear like this this movie i gave it four and a half stars out of letterboxd which some of my nitpicks will have to talk about but i i was like like most of those stars come from the very end of the movie because it is so fucking powerful (laughs) oh yeah it is um especially the scene against papa doc but i i do like i do want to highlight uh some lines from the battle with lotto yes go for it tupac got a boob job uh that's Because like Lotto takes off his shirt for the for the rat battle, and even Cheddar Bob's like he's taking off his shirt. Oh, like, yep, he says yep. that in the crowd, <laughs> and I, th- I think Lotto's the one where where he said something about leave it to Beaver and fucking Eminem just like points at all his crew and he, he calls one of them like Eddie Haskell and yeah. one of them Mrs. Cleaver, and so he's just like you know I'm dissing your whole crew, and he does that in, in I think the first two, maybe all three. He's just like I diss all of you at once. I'm not dissing any one of you. Like you all suck. Like he's. Um, which which I thought was pretty interesting. I love the line when he's dissing the crew. There's some line in there where he said he's talking about the crowd and he's like, you know, look at this crowd. It's it's like he ba- he says something like, oh, oh it's yeah, a sausage it's, fest. It's, uh, yeah, it's all dicks in this crowd except for these bitches. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then there's another line where he's like, he points at the crew and he's like, how can four dicks be pussies or something along those yeah, lines? Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my god. I'm like, it's, I love it. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. But then a line that is stuck with me through the years. Um, so, so Lotto takes off his shirt. He's wearing a wife beater mm-hmm. and Eminem, like he like holds up his shirt. He's like tank top screaming Lotto. I don't fit you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why that line has stuck with me for so long. Yeah, I think you mentioned it at the end of last week's episode, but I loved that too. I was, I was paying attention for it. Cause I, I kind of remembered when it came up cause of the name and stuff, but I, I, that is such a good line. Like just the way he tears them apart is so good. Yeah. Well, and he even says something like in that, in that rap, he's just like, uh, here's a pencil. Go go home and write something. Make it suspenseful. Uh, and it's like, don't come back till something dope hits you. Here, you can even take the mic with you. Yes. And he oh, like he so hands good. he like fake hands him the mic, and then he pulls it back and starts rapping again. That's like that's some clever shit, you know? Like like here, I, I'm just gonna give you some of my time. Like that's how much help you need. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, like that's that it. level of diss is so good. Um, and of course, you know that's shit talking and raps some of the best things but for him for him to say like <laughs> you can't freestyle go write some stuff like you need to write some stuff and come back because you you're not doing this freestyle shit oh yeah yeah i mean i'm, I'm actually i'm glad you mentioned the freestyle thing that was uh, that was an, another reason that i love the 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 artistry of this movie in in this last scene specifically is because of course we know it's a movie there's edits they they probably did multiple takes on certain occasions. I, I do know that, you know, it's on record that Eminem, Eminem did do some improvising during these rap battle scenes. Um, so it, it is like it, it's it's kind of a blend of, you know, prepared stuff and freestyle. And once again, it's a movie. It's it's created, you know, um, but this movie makes it feel like I really felt like I was seeing a freestyle performance live. Like it did oh, yeah. not come across to me as like manufactured or anything. I felt like I was in the audience. And I think, I think the reason that I feel that way is that whenever Eminem has to rap, whenever B rabbit has to do, you know, whether he's going first or second or whatever, 
the camera kind of cuts to him in like a close up, but like a slightly low angle, like mostly on his face. And he pauses. There's a significant yep. pause. And it you can just fucking feel the gears in his head going. And when he starts, it's just like, I'm seeing, I'm like, I'm, I felt like I was at a concert. Like, it is so immersive that it's unbelievable. Definitely. Uh, I, they, they really come across with the rap battle feel. I totally agree. Something else they do that's very good, uh, my wife actually pointed this out, is they, they do a really good job of, of creating, like, they they have one guy who's like okay his his rap was was okay mm-hmm. the next guy his rap is pretty good like oh shit that's great like they did they did all three of those levels of like we're watching freestyle yeah and they they created the gradation of like that one's pretty good this one's better and like you can you can just feel it like the crowd of course tells you but you know before the crowd reacts which Absolutely. one was better which one oh. won. That's a great point because I've I've watched um I've I've gone down the YouTube rabbit hole of watching uh beatboxing competitions because I love sure, beatboxing yeah. and that's one of the things where I'm like how, I'm like I I I don't know how to judge this you know yeah. where when I'm watching these actual live or you know pre-recorded they're, they're not live of course but it's like they have a panel of judges it'll be like like someone will go and I'll be like that was really cool like that dude made a lot of noises with his mouth, you know? <laughs> and then the other guy will go, and I was like, that was different, but it was also pretty cool. And then the judges, like, uh, there was some stuff where, like, the judges are unanimous, and I'm like, well, no, I actually really like the other guy better. And I'm just like, I have no grounding on how to gauge these things. And well, just yeah. like you said, this movie makes sure that you realize what's going on. It it it, it builds up. It, it's like... It's like a whole story structure in that last, like, 15 minutes in the rap scene. Like, we get the rising action, we get the, like, climax, we get the denouement. Like, it's, 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 it's a, it's wonderful, man. Yeah, yeah, the last, I mean, there have been times I've gone back and just watched that last scene again. Like, just watched those last rap battles, because they're, they're so impactful. And, like, that, that is, like, the essence of the movie. Yeah, Is yes. in those, is distilled in those scenes, in that scene, or those scenes. And you can watch them and, like really feel the whole thing again but okay it'll it'll come back to you i mean also in addition to the the rap battle scenes which is amazing like we i've gushed about uh, plenty i think you know i've made that clear i also really love the final scene where eminem's just like i'm going back to work <laughs> yeah yeah the rabbit grew up a little bit he's like i gotta Get back to work. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea that Future is like, you know, hey, you think about, you know, you come on the scene, we host some battles, and Eminem's like, nah. And he's like, don't tell me you wouldn't want to do this. And Eminem, you can see, he's like, well, it's not that I would want to do it, but now, I like you said, I grew up a little. And I love the idea, I, I love it in any movie. He doesn't, you know, get a record deal at the end. He doesn't, in quotes, save the world, you know? It's not giant stakes. He just takes one step, a big step, of course, throughout this movie that earns him respect from others, and I feel like he respects himself a little bit more. And I also was thinking about the fact that he he is blown off work to do this. Like, he got the dude to cover for him. He yeah. might go back to work, and the Manny, not the supervisor, might have known he's not there. And Manny's not going to know that he just won the rap battle championship at the, at the shelter or whatever. And I just love the fact that it's like, yeah, he, he's just taken a step. Like, we have watched a step in the growth of this character. And, and sometimes that's all you need in a movie. Like, it would have been bad if he, you know, got the record deal at the end. If, like, someone – like, could you imagine the lesser version? He gets off stage after, you know, Anthony Mackie chokes and, and hands the microphone to Future. And as he goes off stage – 
stage, someone comes up, takes off their sunglasses and like, hey, I'm from RCA Records and we want to sign you right now and we're going to give you demo time or whatever. And it's like, yeah. no, that's not the point of this movie. It made me think of Searching where they don't show if, if the daughter got into college or yeah, not at the no, end. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, because that's not the point of the movie. It doesn't matter if she gets into college. The fact is that she's out there trying to get into college now. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely with you in, in terms of the growth of his character. Like, I, I love that he's just like, no, dude, the battles are your thing. I need to do my own thing. I got to do it my own way. Um, I, I, I really enjoy that. And I, I, uh, I also really like the, the, I guess the way you put it, you know, he's taking a step. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was talking to, to one of my friends who's, uh, who's a pilot, and I was talking to him about my career situation and he was like, you know, praising me for having having made it as far as I have, and whatever. I was like, dude, I just fucking, I never talk, I never stop taking steps forward. Sure, sure. Like, that's the way I think about it every day. Just do a little bit. That's all. Like, if you're doing a little bit every day, you're doing more than most people. And that's that's what his character did. Like by being up on that stage, he's doing more than everybody in that audience. Yes, like, he's taking that one step forward that they're not taking. And of course, you know, that's an assumptive like metaphorically if those people were interested in in taking these steps he's taking the step they're not that's what i'm saying not that these people Mm -hmm. actually want to be rappers sure sure yeah but i i love that idea of just like take that step like take the next step take the next step that's what you fucking do Mm -hmm. and eventually whenever you after you've taken after you've done that for long enough you fucking walked like 30 miles you know it's like shit like i'm way farther ahead than i ever thought i could be because I just kept taking the step forward. And you don't have to know where you're going to end up to know what step to take next. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very motivational movie in that sense. And and I think in the ending, of course, like I've been saying, but I, I also like a lot of the stuff that, that happens kind of in the back half of the movie, what we're seeing this growth. I, the scene that stood out to me in that regard is um, when – um, Eminem has that little heart to heart with Cheddar Bob when they go to his house and he doesn't answer the door, but then Eminem goes in the back door and, and talks to him. It's like the one time when, you know, they have like a real moment because Cheddar Bob says, it's like, I didn't feel like talking because I didn't want them to make fun of me. And it's like, yeah, that's because that's what it seems like all you guys ever do is make fun of each other, you know? Right. And Eminem's like, he doesn't like say, oh, you know, once again, in a lesser movie, Eminem would have said something like, you know, don't be a pussy. Like, come on, you know? But he's really like, you know, oh, man. I feel you. Like, it's hard out there, MC Bob. And it's a really small moment, but it's like the one time that, you know, it's like, okay, it's like maybe we all don't have the toughest of skin to live in these environments. Cheddar Bob definitely seems that way. Cheddar Bob also seems a little dumb. Like, not slow yeah. or anything, but just dumb. Um, you know, like a, a yeah. little, a little like, not so quick on the uptake, if you know what I mean. Um, and to have that heart-to-heart moment, I'm just like, yeah, that's a, that's a good step for Eminem. And I think even before he goes in, he's saying to his friends where... Um, he's like, you know, we're always talking, but we're not doing anything. Like you're saying, oh, we should have stocks and investments, and you're saying, oh, we should, we you know, get a record down, and get all the bitches. Yeah, and you're saying, we got to get our whatever on JLB. Yeah, rides like, and hoes. We're always talking about rides like, and hoes. <laughs> it's like, but we we don't do shit, and we still live with our moms. Yep, like, yep, and it's it's great. It's it's such a like. Like as you see him go through that, you know, even I mean, it's set up well at the beginning of the movie where he's just like, oh, I hate that I'm going back to live with my mom in the trailer park. And he says to what Wink, he's like, don't tell anyone I'm living here. And then even even later on, it's something where, you know, uh, when Wink brings, brings Brittany Murphy to his house and Eminem freaks out and he's selling to Brittany Murphy, she's like, you don't have to be upset about where you live. And he's like, I don't live here, you know? Um, yeah. And so, oh, God, it's it's so good. It's it's so 
it's so well put together, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and of course, that's I don't know. That's one of those moments where it's like he told Wink, "Don't tell me when I'm here." And then it's the the first opportunity Wink had to to violate that or to to break that promise he did. Wink, yes. Wink is a a shifty character. For oh sure. yeah, I didn't really like Wink. Of course, they set it up that way where he's like trying to play all the all the sides, I guess, all the crews, you know, because he's hanging out with the, the free world people a lot, and then he's, yeah. like, he's talking to Eminem and stuff, and, and he's he's always, like, he's the, um, he's, like, the, the manager-esque. Like, he wants to be a manager. Yeah. He even says at the beginning, he's, like, I'm making moves, I'm getting out of here, I'm gonna take you with me. I'm building an empire, I think he says. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, but then, I mean, I love the... It's kind of not really a subplot, maybe like a sub theme or something. I love all that shit between Wink and Future, where mm-hmm. they're both in the same position. Like they're both, you know, in like in the the crushing poverty and class like system of the, the of Detroit where they all are. And Wink is the one who's like optimistically head in the clouds, like I'm making moves, that type of thing. And Future is the one who's like more cynically grounded. Where you know when they fight in the car after Cheddar Bob shoots himself and Future saying stuff like, "Oh yeah, you know." When like is this you got a demo time just like you know you were real tight with that dude's sister or whatever or yeah. uh, you were real yeah. tight with this X Y Z and Wink is like yo why are you calling me out on this shit like at least I'm trying to do something with my life you know and it's like I get where both of them are coming from it's just two different personalities created by this same system and for the movie to to exemplify that not just in that scene where it comes to a head but in the previous scenes where what at the at the party Wink uh, not Wink Future and Eminem are talking and Eminem's like yeah it's a chance like wink says you get me a chance and future says something like you know being given a chance comes with a dick up your ass and i'm just yeah. like that is i'm like that's very cynical but i totally get where he's coming from <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and in future i mean he's trying he's making his own moves but his moves are about getting like respect in the streets and, yeah. and getting some airtime on the radio and shit it's he's making smaller more local moves whereas wink wink wants to you know, reach reach up into the sky and grab a star. Yes, exactly. Like he, he he wants to to find a ticket out. He's he's like Britton Murphy in that way, or Alex, her her character, mm-hmm. not the actual actress, in, in that way where he's like, I I want to ride somebody else's coattails out of the hood. And Future's like, I want I'm going to build my own fucking way out of the hood. Yes, yes. It's it's such once again a great juxtaposition of those characters, and and to give it the screen time and the story time that it does just makes it so more so much more impactful. It's it's so great, and and you see that, like you said, like with Alex, like with a lot of these characters, they're all from the same system, but their personalities come through. How they think about these things come through. Um, I mean, even in someone we haven't talked about a lot, even with um, uh, Eminem's mother, uh, played by the the great Kim Basinger, um, who who is looking rough in this movie. I think that's oh, yeah. the nicest way to say it. A um a far cry from her role in LA Confidential where she plays like the blonde bombshell and um where she, oh my god, she's so good in LA Confidential. One of the one of the few times an actress wins best supporting actress at the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes. Like that's how good she is in that movie. And she's beautiful in that movie. And this I'm just like, "Oh my god, I can barely even tell it's Kim Basinger." <laughs> Oh, I mean, they definitely try to make her look like drugged out. Yeah, but but she is going through the same thing. Like she wants to get out of there, but she sees it as finding a man. You know, finding um Michael Shannon, and and she even has that line when she's like, after Michael Shannon leaves her, Greg leaves her, and you know she's she's drunk on the porch, and Eminem like takes her to her bedroom. She's like, you know, I'm getting evicted. 
and and you know I, she says something else, but she's like, well, no one's gonna want me now. And uh, maybe I think because she's talking about when Eminem beat up Michael Shannon um, in that big fight scene, and she's like, no one's gonna want me now, and that type of stuff. And it's you just like, it all up for me. yeah, yeah, and and all that, you know, all the hatred. Uh, she definitely seems a little bipolarish, maybe not, you know, in actuality her character, but the movie portrays it as such, where she has her lows and she goes to bingo night and wins and has her very high, and I think that's like the last time we see her in the movie. Oh yeah, and, and she also has this attitude of like, I won three thousand dollars. Things are changing. Yes. Oh yeah, and it's like luck's gonna turn around around here. Our luck's finally turning, and I'm like. I, I, that is so realistic. You know, I've seen those people. I've, I've met those people. Hell, I've been that person sometimes where you get that one thing and you're like, okay, things are going to change. And then, you know, nothing really changes. You're still stuck in your ways. And it's just, it's, it's brutal. It is brutal to see that stuff. Yeah, but it's portrayed very well. Mm -hmm. And and there's like the abusive interactions between, between him and his mom. And then there's like the the really weird oversharing of like, he won't go down on me, which is so fucking. (laughs) uncomfortable it's so um, uncomfortable but i do love the uh the way that scene ends is when eminem's in the bathroom and she like is at the door and he goes she says greg won't go down on me mom and he, like, he shuts the door, yeah. yeah and i'm like i'm like that was a pretty good like it's cut perfectly you know it doesn't l- linger too long it's just like mom and the scene ends and i'm like that's i'm like that's pretty good that's a nice little moment of levity did you win a bingo tonight no you record your demo yet what happened to you? Cheddar Bob had an accident. He's fine. I'm fine. You and your friends. Mom, don't start, please. It's been a long fucking night. Tell me about it. Me and Greg are having problems. You found out about the eviction? No. The settlement check ain't coming. No, it's coming. It's coming. It's our. It's our sex life. Mom, I don't want to hear this shit. I mean, it's good. It's real good. But he just doesn't like... Mom, I don't want to hear this. Greg won't go down on me. Mom! But you're right. It is really weird. Like, when that scene starts... He's like, you know, did Greg get his settlement check yet? And she's like, no, it's not really that. Did you tell him about the eviction? No, it's not that. It's our sex life. And Eminem's like, Mom, I don't want to hear about this. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think anybody would want to hear about this. No, no. And she goes on to say, like, he doesn't really like it. It's like, oh, God, she can say anything. Um, (laughs) It's like, he doesn't like to be pegged, and I'm really into that. Like, I mean, what are we about to hear? Yes. And then it's a little more mundane. Like, yeah, he doesn't want to go down on her, which which is a weird trope. I don't know, that's some shit that I remember hearing as a kid, fucking guys not wanting to go down. I, I don't know how you can... Anyway, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that we need to talk about no, it. No, so. I'm, I'm with you. I, I've heard that as well. It actually, I think I might have mentioned on the podcast before, but um, when... when... Uh, COVID quarantine lockdowns like first started I, I I did the thing that people were like okay you know I guess it's time to get around to watching this I watched all the Sopranos and in the first season of the Sopranos there's like an entire episode with a subplot about how you know like um, Tony James Gandolfini like for um, his wife's birthday goes down on her and then when he comes up he's like don't tell anybody about this and I'm like why? I'm like, why wouldn't he want to tell him? Like, who's she going to tell? And like, who's it going to get around to? And it's apparently a thing that I've never known. Knowing all the Italians, I'm shocked I've never known this. In like old school Italian culture, going down on a woman is a signal that you're gay. And I'm like, what? 
I I was just about to say I don't know how you can call yourself a straight man if you don't like to to chow down every now and again. Uh, it was so weird to me, but it's a big thing that I somehow you and I have missed completely. <laughs> I no, I didn't know that about Italians, but I, I I mean I definitely I mean even like high school I remember like it was it was like there was this weird expectation that girls would give blowjobs, but there was also this weird stigma against guys going down, and it was like I don't get this, I don't understand. We stick each other's genitals in our mouths, you know. Like sure, that's that's sure. just a thing we do as a species. As a, so, like fucking whatever. I but, guess uh, I guess you know it makes me think of a story I was told. This is maybe six, maybe five, six years ago, probably even longer. But um, one of my my friends in New York is a high school teacher, and every once in a while when I talk to them, I'm like always like, oh, what's the stories? Because the school they work at or used to work at, they're retired now, is just a nightmare. And um, I remember them telling a story. They're like, I got a story for you. And I'm like, okay, hit me. And they were like, well, you know, you always have these idiot high school kids, uh, the worst, as I've said, the worst subset of humanity. Um, You're old enough to think you're the smartest person in the world when you're actually the stupidest person in the world. Um, So they get caught doing terrible stuff all the time. And they start this story, and there was like, there was a couple, there's a guy and a girl, and they were caught in a stairwell, like, not really a hidden stairwell, like, not even really in the corner behind the stairs or something, kind of out in the open, they were caught performing oral sex. And I was like, and I was like, wow, I was like, so, like, this girl was just, like, like going down on this guy, like, you know, performing fellatio just right there out in the open. And he went, no, he was eating her out. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, that is, I just, and I guess the point I'm making is I was so shocked that I immediately thought it was going to be a blowjob and not, you know, cunnilingus, that maybe there is something deep-seated in me that I have heard about how cunnilingus is rare or looked down upon or something. But I still think about that story and the fucking gall on those two kids to just be like, yeah, we're doing this in the hallway. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess the way I always think about it is it's guys that are dumb enough to take out the dick in public. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. But but I guess by the same measure, like, it's pretty fucking stupid to be given all. I mean, I, I think I – don't, I don't know if you were still there. Once on Court Street, there was, like, a, a drunken thing where some dude was getting a blowjob, like, out just, just on uh, the same street the donkey's on, like, over by the parking garage. Okay, okay. And it was, like, a big deal. And then there was all this like talk about sexual violation because they she she was drunk and it was like he was drunk too they just raped each other whatever such a weird thing yes but yes but yeah so like that <laughs> that was a, a big, but it was like every time I hear about that like it's always like a guy getting a blowjob in a party like in a bathroom at a party yeah the bathroom thing with the school that's also what shocked me like the hook of the story was you know kids doing oral sex in the stairwell and I'm like go yeah, to the fucking funny. bathroom. Like, yeah. isn't but, that easier? <laughs> but the, the thing, the thing I've never understood is like in all those movies, it's just like guy gets random girl at party to give him a blowjob. I was like, who are these girls that are this eager to suck dick? Like, <laughs> like, I didn't know them in high school. You know, like I had a perfectly good schlong that anybody I might have let suck on it, and I don't know where these people volunteered to suck dick are. Like, I don't. I don't get that. Like, I don't know how you go from being at a party not knowing somebody to then sucking their dick in a bathroom. <laughs> like, I just I'm personally, I don't know. I don't see how that. I don't. I don't get the line. Like, it's it's a non sequitur for me. I guess. Sure. No, I'm I'm with you too. I mean, <laughs> that's good. Anyway, that's that's a yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, the the, the the mother with all, her whole stuff. You know, she's she's also crushed by poverty. It's brutal to watch. Like we said. I mean, just on that vein. I mean, you know. Kim Basinger's a great actor. I think she was a great performance in this. I 
I, I think the, the standout... Well, Brittany Murphy, I think she's always great. I love Brittany Murphy and everything she's in, pretty much. Um, shout out to our patron, Carlos. I have watched some of the movie Spun. Um, I haven't finished it yet, which is why he has not, me, not seen me review it on Letterboxd. Um, but he, she's great in that as well. Um, as, I, I mean, Mackay Pfeiffer. I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff, but he's great as future. I love all the performances. I think the standout for me is Eminem. Like, to this day, this is his first, like, film role, major film role, of course, and this is also his last. He's never been a lead in a movie ever again. And I think it's because of, you know, how, how hard he was worked on this, on this uh, production. But it's kind of shocking that he's as good as he is. Like, I mean, think of, um, it, it's a long history. Rappers, pop stars, musicians in general, they, they're like, oh, you're famous, let's put you in a movie. Um, WWE uh, members as well. Um, I think, um, you know, maybe even athletes like LeBron James talked a lot about that in our Space Jam 2 episode on Patreon and how um, he's a he might be the worst voice actor of all time. Um, LeBron James sucked his own dick for two hours. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) In a hallway uh, or in a stairwell. Um, In a stairwell, yeah. (laughs) um, But I I think back to, you know, um, David Bowie is a big one. Like David Bowie was put in a good bit of movies. He never really clicked with mass audiences. You know, it was never like, you know, people were like, oh, I can't wait to see the next David Bowie movie um, or anything like that. There's a long history of it. I mean, Eminem, though, He's great in this. Like, he never felt stilted. He never felt like, you know, he was un, uh, you know, un- untrained as an actor, I guess. I think it goes back to that quote where he said, he's like, Curtis Hansen knew what to do with me to make me work in this movie. And it's kind of amazing that, you know, I, I, I keep calling him Eminem in this because that's who he is and how I know him as and will always know him as. But he really does in the movie come across as B rabbit. Like there's scenes where it's so immersive and so convincing where I'm just like, yeah, I don't think I'm really watching Eminem. I'm watching B rabbit. I'm invested in this character. And I mean, I would love to see him in another movie. I, like I said, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I mean, God, he had that. If he's not battle rapping, do you really want to watch it? I know that's, that's the other thing because I do as much as I hate the movie. I think this is separate. He has the cameo at the start of um, the interview do you remember the interview, the movie that allegedly North Korea threatened Sony Pictures to not release? Oh, yeah. That's a whole different story because I think that's a load of PR bullshit. But at the beginning of that movie, because James Franco is like the um, the talk show host, the entertainment talk show host, and he interviews Eminem and Eminem comes out as gay. And Seth Rogen, the producer, is like, did Eminem just say he was gay? And they're like, we think so. And they're like, Eminem said he's gay on our show? And that's like, it's just... It's hell to be shady. Yesterday, I yelled a degrading insult at an elderly lady. Then I asked her how it felt to be 80. F word, a senior citizen. Suck a wiener, sit and spin. (laughs) Suck a wiener, sit and spin. That's funny. And why you drive so slow for? Don't you want to get where you're going faster since you'll probably die tomorrow, you old whore? Die, old bitch, die before I murder you. What do you mean by this, M? Well, first of all, I feel like when I rap, like, people twist my words. Okay, but can you see how an old person might say, I think what this guy is telling me, this M&M, is that I should go kill myself, and I, you know, I don't like that. I mean, I don't necessarily rap about the things that I hate. It's more about the things that I fear. I get you. You know, it's like if I say something about women or whatever. I think a lot of that is more or less me just dealing with issues with, you know, old issues with my mom or whatever. With your mother. Yeah, or, or, you know, 
when I say things about gay people or people think that my lyrics are homophobic, mm -hmm. you know, it's because I'm gay. Um, when I rap about violence Wait. or, you know, sound like I'm promoting violence, I think that, uh, you know, it's more or less what? What? because, what? you know, it's kind of my, uh, it's kind of about me just, you know, confronting it. What did he just say? Wow. Wait, can we play this? He said he was gay. Did he just, Dave? Did he just say Dave? he was gay? We're pretty sure in the booth, we just heard him say he was gay. M, let's just back it up a moment. You just said that you were gay? Um, and I'm just curious what you meant by that exactly. I mean, I'm gay. Uh, I'm just a little confused here because gay can mean a lot of things. I am a homosexual. Meaning? I like men. He's like, it's a cameo, it's in it. But he is so deadpan and so stilted, it did not work at all. And apparently, I didn't know this, he has like a quick scene in Funny People. I know we talked about Funny People sometime recently on Patreon or something like that. We mentioned mm -hmm. it. Okay, if you come and laugh, laugh loud. <laughs> That's <laughs> good, perfect. I'll see you Saturday. Okay, then. good, thank you. You know what? I think you fucked up. How's that? I think you fucked up, I think. I don't think you should have took that medicine. Why not? I don't know. Personally, I think you should have just let yourself die. Honestly, man, what, what are you going to do now? Make another bullshit movie? Fuck another chick who doesn't like you? You know? That was your way out right there. Hmm. Now you're, you're fucking stuck. Yeah. You're stuck just like me. Can't go to fucking Chuck E. Cheese. I can't go to Target. I can't go to Best Buy. I can't go to fucking Walmart, Kmart. You fucking name it. I can't go there. Yeah, that's true. Everyone in this fucking room is either staring at us, mm -hmm. wanting to take a fucking picture. Yeah. Yeah. I emailed that to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Who the fuck is that guy right there? That fucking guy right there. What? <laughs> Ray Romano's bothering him? Who? Ray, Ray, who? Ray Romano, the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond? Who the fuck what show he's on? I'll fuck this motherfucker up, man. Hey, hey Ray! Hello, Marshall. Fucking problem here, buddy? Would you like to fuck me? Is that what this is? I get it, man. What's going on? Would you like me to fucking bend over for you right now? No. No, man. It's got to always be on my toes, man. Oh, you know? I, I see that, but no. This is why I don't go out of the house. I thought everybody loved you. So now that you got this, uh, this second chance, man, like, what do you want? I kind of don't want anything. So then what are we celebrating? Um, but yeah, I would love to see him do something, but you're right. Maybe he has the best acting career of all time where he got in, made a great fucking movie about his, like, semi-autobiographical, about his life to put emotion in. He showed off his skills, showed off his growth, and got out of the game, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, like, the best kind of one-hit wonder. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he's the one-hit wonder that only made one song or one movie in this yes case. and it, it's 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 a masterpiece you know um yeah. it, it's like you know if he if he never stars another movie again fine you know he he doesn't need to he made this one it's amazing and like we said he's in it's the whole movie so many scenes on this topic one thing i did find which i thought was really crazy he was actually considered for the lead role in jumper remember that movie jumper about oh. the teleporting hayden christensen um anakin skywalker could teleport yeah. he was yeah. considered to play that character and i'm like that might have been a better movie because I think Hayden Christensen is stale as all hell, um, and that movie is also not that great from what I remember. Um, but I, I would have been interesting to see him try and do something like that. 
I like the movie Jumper personally. Okay. But uh, but no, Hayden Christensen is stellar, sure. <laughs> but but I, I love the idea of, of Jumper. But anyway, no, that 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 is weird. Uh, and the only way I would have been okay with it is if there was a rap battle in there, like a oh. teleporting rap battle. <laughs> it's like you can't teleport for shit. Like you can only go like five feet or something. You know, like whatever shit talking you using. Sure. Oh, I like that. Is that that would have added some flair to it. I, I dig that. <laughs> I I do have to say that. Oh, well, uh, yeah. so I, before we, before we leave uh, about Eminem's performance, um, the the scenes where he is like yelling at Greg or fighting with Greg, and then he immediately switches to like taking care of Lily. Sure. Those scenes are so well done. Yes. He, yes. He's just like, oh, oh, Lily, I'm so sorry. Like, I I didn't mean to be violent as fuck around you. And I forgot you existed. And I'm sorry about that. You know, like that, like I, I just, the, the performance for those scenes came across really good for me. Oh yeah. I love that stuff because I mean, you know, it's a, it is a, like you said, a quick switch. I'm, I'm especially thinking the scene when um, Greg finds out about the eviction notice and starts talking shit to um, his mom and Eminem, you know, starts beating him up, like fully beating him up, throwing him around the, uh, the trailer. And then as soon as Greg's out of the house, he's, he's like, immediately goes to Lily, who's, like, cowering under the table, and she's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm still the person you know, and it comes across, it doesn't come across as, like, oh, I, it doesn't come across as what happens in movies where it's, like, you can tell it's two different takes. Like, you can tell where it's, like, oh, they did the anger scene, and then sometime later, maybe they reset, and then they did the emotional scene. It really comes across as one big take where it's, like, no, you feel that in that moment when Eminem is, like, reaching out to Lily and trying to comfort her, that he realizes that he let his emotions and his anger get the better of him without thinking about what it's going to do to, you know, his loved ones. And he's really remorseful. I think it comes across in that maybe remorseful, regretful, and he wants to correct it as fast as he possibly can. And like oh, you said, yeah. it comes across as so realistic and, and it's just, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, and for him to be able to pull that off, I mean, once again, maybe it's tapped into what he's gone through in his own life. And that just adds better, uh, adds more, more to it. I mean, like we said in the example is like my textbook example now is that the reason Run is such a good movie is because the girl who plays the girl in the wheelchair is in a wheelchair in real life. And to see someone like Eminem play these emotional moments, if he went through real life, that just adds to the essence of the film. Right. Well, and kind of back to what we were saying earlier, it's like Eminem is talented. The girl from Run is talented. And they also happen to fit the thing that's being filmed. Yes, cast them for that, you know. Definitely, uh, definitely. So, like, they, they were the best choice, and there was no way there was going to be a better choice in these in these two movies. Um, and if that's the case, fucking do it. So, like, I, the reason I'm bringing it back up is, like, I, I don't mean to say that I don't think people who fit should be cast. If they're there, cast them. Like, if they have the, the skills and the chops to do it, yeah. cast them. Yeah. Because they're going to bring a level to the performance that so no one else can bring. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like Absolutely. The, I don't know. If no, we, I'm in, I'm in total, enough I'm total enough. agreement with you, uh, for sure. About performances, though, the, the, the thing that my least favorite thing in this movie, and I wanted to pick your brain about this, not just the performance, but the, the kind of inclusion of it. We get one scene with Janine, the ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, I knew she, you were going to bring up Janine. She shows up to Eminem's work, and he's like, I can't, you know, I can't, you can't be bringing this shit here. I'm like, you're going to get me fired and that type of stuff. Uh, played by Taryn Manning, who's been around. I mean, I've seen her in a few other things. I mean, she she's on, she's in Orange is the New Black. Oh, yes. She's uh, yes. Kentucky or that's, whatever. That's right. Yeah, she's, uh, that's, that's her, her most recent um, well-known thing for sure. I don't know 
what is going on in this scene? Uh, she is so stilted. It comes across like I, I. It's not just like the the stance, like the actual visuals of her posture and stuff. I think that's fine. It seems natural, but the way she delivers her lines is like a fucking speaking spell. Like it comes across as like you know Microsoft Sam. She's so unnatural. And I'll put the clip in because I think it comes across in the audio. But I'm just like, what is this? Why haven't you called? Jimmy, I can't talk about this here. You're gonna get me fired. I'm your girlfriend. No, you're not my girlfriend. We broke up. I'll call you later. You just took off without saying a word. At least I left you the car. Well, was it because I said I was pregnant? Come on, Janine. I know why you said that bullshit. You gotta get out of here. But I didn't know what else to do. Tell me why you left. Tell me and I'll leave you alone. It's not you, okay? Janine, it's me. It's my shit. I had to go. Why? What are you running from? Nothing. Would you just go? You know that everybody's calling you a loser from the other night? Who said that? How everybody's talking about it. How you froze up and got booed off stage. Fuck you, Janine. Go home. But I'm, I'm one, I want your thoughts on if, you, if that stood out to you. But two, that's her only scene. Speaking scene. We see her at the club, yeah, and yeah. we see her in the... We see her the, at the, Chintiki, I think. Yeah, Chintiki, and we see her after Eminem um, beats up Wink. I think he drives outside her house and sees her in the in yeah. her apartment or something. I One, the performance is not good, I, I think, and you know, I want your thoughts on that, like I said. But two, what is the point? What I don't understand. Like, why include that subplot, even? I mean, it takes up what... F- in total, not just like actual her screen time, but then people talking about it. Two, three minutes? Like it seems so inconsequential. I I didn't get like why he needed an ex girlfriend, and maybe yeah, he got rid of the car at the start. That they could have just mentioned that at the beginning and not you know talked more about her pregnancy and stuff. It just seems so out of place to me. I don't know. What did you think? I, I suspect uh, again with this being semi autobiographical that that that's in there because it is somehow relates to things that actually happened. Sure. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. He. But I, but I also think because like there's specifically the, the scene at his job where where he's like, sorry, Manny, it wasn't my fault. And he's like, nothing's ever your fault. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that that scene was put in there like she was put in there as a way to deliver the fact that he's always kind of shifting blame off of himself. Up and, and then at some point later in the movie, there's a point where he's he says it, it wasn't. And he's like, it won't happen again. Yeah. But he yeah. interrupts himself to be like, uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't my fault. It won't happen again. And I, I think I think that that was the main purpose of of her character, and like just to to kind of highlight who B Rabbit is and and the things he's just recently experienced, uh, so as to you know create the contrast with who he becomes. Sure, sure, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the um, when he cuts himself off and says it won't happen again. Another good moment of growth, you know. It's just there. I mean, also I don't know. I, it just came across as so weird because I feel like everything in her scene where she's speaking, we could have put elsewhere. Like, you know, we get the thing with the car. It's like, oh, I gave Janine. Janine and I broke up. I gave her the car because she might be pregnant. And then, you know, we see him see her later on drinking. And it's like, when is she supposed to be pregnant? And Eminem's like, I want to get out of here or whatever. Um, but then also even the stuff when I, I feel like I, it felt like the movie was supposed to reveal that when she shows up to his work that he broke up with her. 
like the, right. like I feel like it's played like when that like when Eminem delivers that line, he's like, you know, it's not you, it's me, it's my shit that's going on. I feel like it felt a little bit like it was supposed to be, you know, oh, we thought Janine broke up with him, but it's the other way around. But I got that from earlier things in the movie. Like that wasn't as a shock to me or anything. Uh, I actually was a little bit taken aback by it. I I definitely assumed that she left him or she kicked him out. So. Okay. I'm okay. curious. I'm curious what what gave it to you because I I definitely didn't know. So it did come across as like a a reveal uh, to me. I I because I thought of it as him talking about like you know she she might be pregnant you know thinking that and like her like pulling on uh break her uh him breaking up with her and then being like you know listen I know you might be pregnant so I'm gonna give you the car like the the care about I guess that first scene when he talks about Janine with his friends before he chokes at the rap battle and then when he talks to the mother and his care for like the females in his life okay and that I don't know it gave me the vibe of of you know of him breaking up with her and and I get where you're coming from that, you know, it could it, – it, it seems like it's played as that reveal, and, you know, maybe more people think that it's it's a big reveal. But once again, I'm kind of like, what I, – I maybe once again it's that reveal that, you know, he has he's, – he's doing these things because, you know, he needs to grow. He's like, I got to cut you out of my life for some reason uh, because, you know, I'm working on myself or something along those lines. And I I mean, I'm, I'm also very – just distracted by her performance in that scene, which is just seems so weird. <laughs> and I don't know if she was supposed to be on drugs or something because we see her like drinking and stuff when, but she's not really pregnant. I don't know that whole subplot. I was like, yeah, I could do without this, but you're right. It adds some small moments of growth that, that just add to the impact of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely think that her performance does come across as flat and then it's, it's not the movie could have been good without it. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't have lost anything if she was cut out. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe there was like deleted scenes or something that um, had more of her and stuff like that. I I really was shocked that after that first like when I was watching it and her she shows up at his work and I was like, oh, my God, what is she doing in this scene? I really expected her to have another scene. Like I thought we were going to get her speaking again, but it never happened. So maybe something got left on the cutting room floor that would have fleshed her out more. Uh, but they threw it in, and you're probably right. You know, as, as I think about it, what you said about being semi-autobiographical and and having, you know, I- including so many things from his life, I could totally see that as just being thrown in there because it's like, yeah, this is a small moment. We want it. You know, we want to emphasize this because it really happened, and that's what you know, B Rabbit's going through. So, it's not the worst thing, but man, that that performance is is rough. Um, yeah, Pence Tucky is better from Orange is the New Blood. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, she's I've, the other things I've seen her and I've never disliked her. But, um, but yeah, I mean, then the other things like that 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 I think is is not just a Rob nitpick. I think she is actually bad. The other Rob nitpicks I have when Eminem is trying to escape the burning house in that scene, and he goes out the window and he jumps off of the roof onto the car. I hate that. There's an edit. You don't see him fall from the roof to the car there is a cut of him jumping and then just him landing i don't think he did that stunt and i'm really upset about that i wish we would have seen that as just one continuous shot um but that's very minor detail of course (laughs) i mean other than that everything is real like the things i don't like are real small like there's some like like thing it's more of just like you know oh maybe it's not even nitpicks or things i dislike it's like when when, like, Eminem turns the car around because he sees the Free World gang, like, on their van. He's, like, they go to jump them, like, when Cheddar Bob shoots himself, that whole scene. I'm right. just like, why are you being so stupid, you know? But it's it's really not stupidity. It's the emotions. It's the heightening of what's right. going on. And um, But it's, like, it's those parts where I'm, like, almost like, God damn it. Like, come on. You're doing better. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, that that scene, I, I did. I, I was, I really, whenever he turns around, I was like, why? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah they have the inter, the interaction at Chintiki, but like, why does he need to stop and fight him now? Is that is that after he saw Janine? Because at that point, I guess Janine does say something about about everyone talking shit about him. So like, maybe it's related oh, to that. Oh yeah, yeah. She's she's like uh, she says something like, and I'm gonna do my best impression in that scene. Everyone all over town is making fun of you. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you choked. (laughs) And it's just, he's like, you know, who's talking shit on me or whatever. But yeah, I I think that might be afterwards. So he does have that motivation to um, be pissed off. And there's the whole thing where... I, I, it is, it's there because I think, like, the thing with Wink and him, like, working with the two different crews and there's beef between, like, our main gang and the free world people, I, I feel like there's something there because Wink is with them, I think, in that scene. And they might be like, you know, oh, why Wink are you hanging out with those dudes or something? But I'm, I'm totally with you. When he turns around, I'm like, oh, God, no. I'm just like, keep driving, man. <laughs> mm. But uh, that also adds to the, the impactfulness of the last scene where, um, you know, because also, you know, Eminem gets beat up by the whole Free World gang. He gets the shit kicked out of him. Um, another small nitpick, his black eye makeup in the in the end of the movie is not great. It just looks like purple paint over, like it looks like eyeshadow or something. Um, but well, it, yeah. it doesn't really, you know, it, it's it's not highlighted too much. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I like the fact that it, all this stuff of, like, him trying to throw down or, you know, jump the uh, the Free World people, but it gets derailed because Cheddar Bob shoots himself, and then he beats up Wink and in turn gets the shit kicked out of him. Um, he fell down some stairs, actually, I should say. But then he doesn't beat him up. Like, there's no moment where he goes and it's like, okay, we got to kick the shit out of them, at, you know, at the end and, you know, that type of thing. And then they won't be able to rap because we, we broke their, you know, throats or, you know, or, or anything like that. He right. beats them on the court, you know? He beats them on the court. And that is so much more impactful than anything where it's like, oh, we broke his leg so he can't perform yeah he, he could have taken a, a smaller route there and i i think there's even the suggestion at some point that they should do that and he's like no i'm gonna beat him in the battle yeah like, yeah yeah i think uh, i think cheddar bob or someone says like we're gonna jump him again and he's like no i'm gonna battle yeah, and it's like yes that's right. i'm like you fucking go eminem <laughs> yeah <laughs> take the high road free world bitches Fuck, Fuck the, the free, free world. world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, like, they're giving Cheddar Bob shit about it. He's like, what? Future said it? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, fucking Cheddar Bob. As dumb as he is, I love him. He's such a good character. He's, like, the he's the one who's, like, you know, like like I said, he doesn't have the toughest skin. Um, he, He's trying he's, to... He, he, what, he's down. He, he's supportive of his friends. Yeah, yes. and he's doing the whole thing where what, he's, like, uh, he's, like... I gotta write raps. That's how you get the bitches, right? You know, and it's just like that's very superficial. He goes up to that girl at the party, and he's like, "Hey, you know, oh, it's God, like I'm so this," creepy. and he's like, "Do you want to dance with me?" And she goes, "Nah, not right now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the way he walks up on her, like it was, he just, <laughs> yeah. like he walks up on her like he's gonna fight her. Yeah, he's like, "Hi," and she actually has to turn around and be like, "Oh, hi," and he's like, "I'm right, I'm Cheddar or whatever the fuck he says, but it's so it's so you know cringy and it's like uh, watching like a dating fail compilation on YouTube or something. But right. but goddamn it, I love him when he shoots himself. Oh my god! And I also the whole scene that I mentioned when he pull before he shoots himself when he pulls out the gun and he fires it and he's like yeah yeah he's like everybody he's like I got the gun I got the, and he's waving it around and everyone stops fighting and they're all like where did you get a gun? Put that down. Put that away. It's like it, it grinds the whole altercation to a halt because everybody's like. Cheddar Bob should not have a gun. We need to deal with this right now. 
It's like, it's my mom's. Yes, yes. Oh, it's I was so like, funny. what, Papa Doc had one? Yep, yep. Oh, my God. It's it, it's some good well, shit, man. I, I guess that's that. The both those scenes that we highlighted are Cheddar Bob saying, like, oh, that other person did it, so I can do it, yep, or I should yep, do it. Yep. Like Cheddar Bob is, like, a follower. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> emulates what he sees, and it's uh, he never does it right or anything like that. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. Oh, it's, he's good. He's fun. He's he's dumb, but I love him, man. <laughs> oh, he's got he's got a good heart. Yeah. He's just an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've I oh God, if I if I scroll through my notes, I'm sure I'll find like ten more things to highlight about this movie. But I mean, I think I've gushed. Is there any other scenes that we haven't gotten to, or anything you wanted to highlight? Uh, the the thing that I also wanted to maybe to to push you because I didn't write a lot of lyrics down. I'm glad you highlighted from the rap battle. Were there any other like lines you wanted to highlight? Because I know you've you, they, those stand out to you a lot with the with Eminem and stuff, but um, I don't know anything you wanted to highlight. Go for it. No, I, I think you know the final rap battles were like the most most of the gold content is sure. Like even the little rap battle at the at the lunch truck, wherever he calls Exhibit a faggot, like mm-hmm. that that's not the best performance. Um, and it like I, I kind of that's one of the things I didn't really like is I don't think he like spits fire until like the very end, which I which I would have loved to have seen more of. Sure. Um, so no, I, I don't think there's any other lines that like really stick out to me that I, that I want to point out, but I, I do want to say the last, like, again, we gushed over it already, but the last, the rap battle at the end, so fucking good. It's, it's amazing. It's a, it's, um, just like, I know I talk on this podcast and on Patreon, I talk about how I like certain opening scenes I love and, you know, Constantine, that opening, um, possession or exorcism is fucking amazing um the opening scene of the dark knight i think is you know that the joker bank robbery is so goddamn good this is i gotta start thinking about the, the good final scenes like the because the whole thing the rap battle and him going back to work is just like the perfect encapsulation of the film everything it's going for it's the perfect like way to end it um it's it's amazing and it's, you're right i mean I gotta think of some more. The end. If anybody's ever seen the Poughkeepsie tapes, I think that's a terrible movie. But the last scene, the last interview scene, is chilling. Like it, I, I it is giving me like not really, but it will give me nightmares. I'm sure. Um, uh, it's uh, interviewing one of the victims of the serial killer and the abuser, and it's just so heartbreaking. Like that's a like, this is up there. Like top top tier end scenes of a film. Like this is so fucking good. Oh, I really like the ending scene to No Country for Old Men. Tommy Lee Jones just talking. That's a really good scene. <laughs> um, uh, when he's like, you know, he, like if, if you haven't seen it, it really, it's a Coen Brothers movie. So we've talked about how, you know, you've mentioned the phrase, um, a scene should end before it ends or start, you know, before it starts end before it ends, that whole thing. Um, yeah. And and the Coen Brothers are to the extent where they end scenes before like they're literally over. Like I think True Grit ends in the middle of a sentence. Um, <laughs> but like the ending of No Country for Old Men is like Tommy Lee Jones just at the breakfast table reading the newspaper telling his wife about this dream he had and it goes on and it goes on and it's like, does this have anything to do with what the movie was about? Like, is this like, you know, recontextualizing anything and it gets to like the climax of his story and the wife goes well well, what happened next and tommy lee jones just like ruffles the paper and goes and then i woke up and the movie ends and it's just like oh my god like uh, it's fucking great you know when you when you see that in the context of the movie it's like fucking amazing that they were just balls to the walls like just we're done i mean also coen brothers as well the end of burn after reading when all these characters intertwined are going on and the and the CIA people like have no idea what's happening but they're trying to surveil and understand they go and report to JK Simmons at the end and JK Simmons is like well what about the body we found we don't know who that is it, sir and it's like well did we find this dude nope we think he's uh, we think he's fled the country and they 
he, he keeps asking questions of the CIA guys, and they're like, yep, we don't know. We don't know. We haven't figured that out. Not, not sure about that one. And J.K. Simmons just goes, huh, well, this whole thing's a clusterfuck, and the movie ends. <laughs> um, Love Red that State, stuff. Kevin Smith, there's a... The, the, it ends with, you know, the religious cult guy getting arrested and then, like, he's singing in, in his cell and, and Kevin Smith actually delivers the line, Shut the fuck up! <laughs> right on. Oh, it's God. Great. Yeah, it's some, it's some good stuff. I mean, then, well, if, if we have uh, highlighted, highlighted many things in this episode, all very important, um, I guess I'm ready for questions, if you are. Yeah, let's do it. Let's oh, knock them out. Yes. So, I, I think I want to start with Late Night. This is a hell yes to late night movie. I think this movie is so fucking amazing. It's so well put together. I mean, the way that, you know, you have all these emotions and then just that last scene. Like, I mean, I usually say, which I said last week for Crestone as a great example. One of the things I love about late night movies is that, you know, you can spur some very interesting discussion with the people you're watching it with. And I think, you know, I love when you do that, when you show someone a movie and you really get talking with them. I think there's a different category for this one where, yeah, you might get some great conversation as you go throughout this movie. This is a late night movie in the sense that I think when that last scene, the rap battle scene happens, it's going to be silent. Everybody will be just watching the movie and it's going to end like and people are going to go, that was fucking great. And that's another great class of late night movies because it is it is just so well done and it's so powerful, like we said. And I would I I want to watch that rap battle again. I might show this to someone else's late night movie, um, kind of in the reverse nostalgia way. Usually, when I tell people like, "Oh, we did X Y Z on the podcast," and they're like, "I love that when I was a kid," and I go, "Yeah, it sucks." You know, it's it's like keep your nostalgia. I would love to find someone who's like, "I haven't seen Eight Mile in forever," and be like, "It's." Good. It's probably better than you thought it was. Let's watch it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Cinemodities, though, I got I got to say no. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's got a lot of cliched stuff with getting out of the hood. Well, I say cliche now. It is a 2002 movie when this was still pretty fresh. I mean, it is after Boys in the Hood and stuff like that. But it is a straightforward, gritty drama. And I think it's clear. I'm not saying that as a dig on it or a backhanded compliment. It's a straightforward, gritty drama that is probably one of the best straightforward, gritty dramas. And, but I, I don't know. I can't, there's nothing odd about it, you know? There's, I, I can't classify it as a cinemodity. Um, it's just a really goddamn good movie. <laughs> yeah, I, the oddest thing you get in this is the fact that it, like, hinges on a freestyle battle. Yes. I think that's the, yeah. I mean, but, but, we, but we get that same thing with, like, uh, was it break, bring it on or you got served or, or sure no, yeah you got served like you know hinging around like a, a street dance or whatever so it's 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 not uh well i guess i i jumped the gun i i would have to to agree late night yes watch it if you haven't watched it watch it if you have watched it watch it again yeah if you don't um, remember it definitely rewatch it i think that that's the biggest thing i want to say is that like if you were if you like eminem if you like you know musical not musical like music movies like we're talking about um and you were like, oh, yeah, I kind of liked 8 Mile. Go, like, re-watch it. It's on HBO Max. Like, re-watch it. You will have a hell of a time. <laughs> yes, yes. I 100% agree. Late when night, you mentioned yes. Bring It On and, like, and like step it up and stuff like that, it made me, think of, made me think of Dodgeball, where the end of the movie relies on a cheerleading competition and the Dodgeball game. Because remember Justin Long? He's, he's, like, trying to bang that girl, oh, yeah. and she's like, we need one more person! Like, this dude, something happened, something goofy happened to this dude, whatever the fucking crazy nonsense happens in that movie. And that <laughs> Dodgeball's like, yeah, we need, we need a, a sports game and a cheer competition. <laughs> yeah, that's... God, I haven't seen... Uh, dodgeball... I 
I would watch that again. I, anyway. I rewatched it a little while, maybe like last year, maybe like six months ago or something, and I was definitely like – it was one of those movies that when I laughed at it, my immediate thought afterwards was like, I, I feel like I need to bully myself for laughing at something this stupid. <laughs> it, it was not – it was not, I loved it okay. when I was younger, but it was not the greatest. Um, oh, but, all right. But that's, still, I mean, one of the funny. one of the best lines. It has one of the funniest lines I think ever. When um, uh, what the the good guys team is about to surrender or something, and and the two announcers, Gary Cole and Jason Bateman, Gary Cole says something like, "It looks like they're a man down, and they might not be able to continue." And and Jason Bateman says, "That's a bold strategy. Let's see how it plays out for him." <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is a great line. Um, and of course, that's a, a meme now. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that line. I mean, also, I, I actually, uh, on a quick tangent, I recently rewatched the Austin Powers movies because yeah. I loved them when I was younger. And I was like, do, I'm like, do they hold? I heard on some podcast I was listening to, I heard where they were like, I revisited the first Austin Powers. And they were like, it really holds up. Like, it's still really good. And I'm like, is that true? You know? And so um, they're all, all three are on HBO Max. And I watched them. Um, a lot of toilet humor, which Ben and I, Ben and I don't really get into. And I think our cinema audience knows that. Um, they're not great. I think the second one is actually the worst one. The third one might be the best or my favorite. But there is a moment in the first Austin Powers that I fucking had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. Um, it's, of course, James Bond parody. So there's a scene when Austin Powers sits down at a blackjack table, and um, number two, Dr. Evil's like right-hand man, is at the table as well. And Austin is like doing reconnaissance. And um, the, the dealer goes to um, number two, played by Robert Wagner, which is always crazy to me. And um, he, he wears an eye patch in all the movies. And he goes to number two, and he's like, you know, you have, he's like, uh, 17, sir. He's like, hit, hit or stay. And apparently the, X, the eye patch has like x-ray vision, so um, number two knows what the next card is and so uh, he's like hit and it's it's what it's going to give him 21 it's a four or whatever and so he goes hit me and the dealer's like are you sure sir you have a 17 and robert wagner says i like to live dangerously and then it goes to austin and he gets he flips his cards or, he, or has his cards and he's like you have a five sir would you like to hit or stay and austin power goes i'd like to stay and he goes sir you only have a five and he goes i too like to live dangerously <laughs> Fucking killed oh, me, man. Yeah. That's, that's fucking funny. <laughs> killed the uh, shit out of me. I was like, that is so stupid, but it's fucking, it's an amazingly crafted joke. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, Austin Powers. I wouldn't recommend those. <laughs> okay, I think then that brings us to snacks. I I think we have to say it because you brought it up. Um, well, I should preface this. I have, I don't have a lot of snacks for this movie. Um, this is one of the ones that I was really focused in on the um, like the themes, the artistry, the performances. It was one of those engrossing movies where I don't think a lot about snacks. It also doesn't have too much food in it in general. But I did find, like you mentioned, in September of 2021, so last year, that's how recent it was, Eminem opened up a restaurant in Detroit called Mom's Spaghetti. And uh, I went to the website to look at their menu. Uh, apparently it's like a, a sit-down restaurant. It's like a pull-up window. You know, you like walk up, grab your order, and grab your food type of thing. Um, they serve mom's spaghetti, which you can get plain with meatballs or with rabbit balls, which are vegan meatballs. Um, I like that they call them rabbit balls. As I'm hoping a little nod to this movie. Um, but the thing is, the spaghetti is served in like those white Chinese food takeout containers that you get like rice in, you know, the ones with like the foldable yeah. tops. Um, yeah. I thought that was an interesting way to serve spaghetti. <laughs> um, and then the other thing they sell. And they serve lo mein, so. Is, yo, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess, you know, I'm thinking spaghetti and marinara sauce. 
in a container. It's not that different. You're right now. I've eaten many a lo mein out of that container. Um, the other thing they serve is the Zgetti sandwich. So spelt apostrophe S-G-H-E-T-T-I. Zgetti sandwich. There's no more description. I didn't really look into it to see if anybody reviewed it, um, which maybe I'll do a correction. But I, It has to be toasted garlic bread with spaghetti. I hope so. That would be fucking delicious. I mean, put some meatballs on that. I'll eat the shit out of that, man, right now. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and then soda and water. That's, that's all they serve. So mom's spaghetti, spaghetti sandwich, soda, and water. Um, since I don't have a lot of snacks, um, I really only have one other thing. It's not a food item. My thought was... I, I hope this restaurant is doing well. You know, at the time of this recording, it's been open, uh, what, uh, six months, uh, seven months, somewhere around that. But why don't we see if Eminem wants to get a franchise of the restaurant in the Cinemodities restaurant? What if we have like a little outlet, like maybe like a little, um, like a vendor type of thing to show our appreciation for Eminem, for Lose Yourself, for this movie. And we have a little, you know, kind of offshoot. Uh, Mom spaghetti somewhere within the Cinemodities restaurant. What do you think? Go for it. Okay. The only other one I have has a question mark at the end because I could not think uh, before this recording of a fun way to mess with it. Uh, but bingo nights? I mean, <laughs> the mom likes to go to bingo night. I was trying to think of somewhere in there, uh, something we could use in there. I, I was also, every time she talked about bingo nights, I made me think of bingo hell, which we covered on the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> But I was like, I was, I was trying to think. Maybe it's like we have a bingo night, but like it, like the, like there's rappers involved or something, or it's like a freestyle rap battle that involves bingo. I don't know. I couldn't really solidify anything, but I think there's something there. You know, the the guy who announces the bingo numbers has to do a freestyle rap based on what comes out of the machine. (laughs) So okay, I I like that idea. So let's say you know he he does the thing where he and and we're I'm talking like old school legit bingo, like the cage with the balls in it, you know, none of this this digital shit, you know? So I'm thinking like the someone's up there, they're turning the cage, they pull out a ball, and they have to do a forty five second freestyle rap (laughs) about that number. (laughs) Because I feel like that would make the people playing bingo it would make it difficult for them to know what number has been said. I was thinking more along the lines of like they just keep pulling them out and uh, and they just try to fit them into their freestyle that's like a long flowing freestyle for Ooh, the whole that, game. Like, okay, so like uh, like like maybe maybe every like twenty seconds, fifteen, twenty seconds, they pull out another ball and it changes like what they have to rap about or something. Yeah, and like they just you know, they so you then you as the as the player, you have to try to pick out the numbers that they're saying. And yes. and actually, like, and they will never actually reveal the balls. And then you can like go up there and be like, "I think that I won," <laughs> but <laughs> but I need you to verify it because <laughs> that we don't know what balls came out. I, I I really dig that. And and one, I dig that because of the difficulty it places on the customers who are playing this game in the restaurant. But two, if we could find somebody who could consistently do this, like read out bingo balls and rap about them. Holy shit! Like that'd be a. I feel like that's a great idea for a short or a music video or something. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Oh god, yeah. that makes me think of something that like Lil Dicky would do or something like that. You know, one of those goofy oh, yeah. YouTube rappers where he'd be like, you know, and then oh my god, could you imagine like a three three and a half minute music video about this idea? And then you know, at some point they pull out like. I don't, I don't know where my – I guess it would be 069. I don't know how many bingo numbers are there. But whatever the letter is and 69, it's like that's the one everybody understands because all the references become very obvious that they pulled out 69. <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Dude, that's yeah. an awesome idea. I dig that. I dig that. <laughs> the, the cinemonities bingo, rapping bingo night. Rapping bingo. <laughs> I, I guess, what did you have for the restaurant? Because that was it. That was all I had. I was so engrossed in this movie. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. Do we already have like a paintball course where you can drive Ooh. cars around and shoot paintball guns? Because that'd be pretty cool. I know we have laser tag from the Terminator series. It's like Terminator themed laser tag. Um, where you can get in like tanks and shit. Uh, I I don't know if we have paintball, so I could get behind that. Yeah, we can we can definitely just get like even if it's just go karts, like it doesn't have to be full size cars. Just but like give paintball guns and <laughs> and uh, you know go karting paintball. That'd be pretty cool. I think that um that should definitely exist. Um, maybe not solely, but it definitely needs a part of it in the uh, the sin emodities kids portion of the restaurant. Sure. I would love yeah. to see little kids in go karts just fucking like. Drifting around with a paintball blasting gun, each other. <laughs> blasting each other. Yes, yes. So I start blasting. Um, <laughs> I definitely like from the Chintiki rap scene. Like, we, I think one of the things he says is ten freaky girls." Yes. So we need some kind of homage to that. Just I don't know. I don't know what kind of like maybe ten different kinds of freaky. Ooh, um, okay. So it's, it's like the um, like, like the nine circles of hell. It's the ten cir- levels of freaky or something like yeah, that. The, well, yeah, just the, just the ten freaky girls. Uh, <laughs> so you have different rooms. Where it's like a it's like an interactive art exhibit where you get to interact with this this person who okay, represents okay. the the first instance or type of freaky. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, one of the levels would be watching Vince Vaughn in Freaky. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Yeah, anything else did you have for the restaurant? Uh, no, I think that's I think that's it. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. we should we should probably just play Eight Mile on repeat in the restaurant. Oh, sure, yourself. sure. I could. I could uh, see oh, that. actually, no. If there if there's like a big part of the restaurant where people typically get lost, we should play Lose Yourself over and over again. <laughs> oh, oh my God! Yes, that is that is great. I I feel like okay that. You just you just connected the the perfect dots, Ben. Maybe it's like some way that uh, when when we can see, or maybe I, I don't think we've talked about like security cameras or like anybody monitor. Maybe we have. They're probably like our security force is probably like I don't know ancient Egyptian gods from when Zach and I talked about the mummy. Or it's probably something goofy like that. But I'm just thinking that it's like if you have people watching over like the customers and you see some customers start to go into the place where you know they're going to get lost, like that song just starts playing. You know, it's it's like the um it's like the song that that um comes on the radio or whatever before death gets them in in the Final Destination movies. It's oh, like yeah. you know what's coming. <laughs> right. Lose your okay, that's great. Lose yourself. Yes, lose yourself in the Cinemodities restaurant, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think just to just to say it, you know, because uh, while we're on that topic, um, we're we're gonna end this episode by playing "Lose Yourself" in reverse, right? There's no other choice. I yeah, think. of course. Okay, okay. Well, with that being said. This was a great episode. I knew it was going to be after I watched this movie. I was like, "Holy shit, this is going to be this is going to be a a doozy of a discussion." And it was. Um I will say very briefly before we uh we give our ads as we usually do. Um next week it switches back to me. And Ben, be thankful. It's not another Crestone. It's it's more like a real movie and not a, a a a museum film or anything like that. We will be talking about my favorite movie from last year. Uh that came out last year. Uh from movies I watched last year, uh probably of the movies I found, you know, I think Anomalisa and Searching would be above this. Um but my favorite movie that came out last year is St. Vincent's film The Nowhere In. 
And it's a very, very strange movie. Um, but I think you're going to like it, Ben. And also, we're going to get to talk about how we've seen St. Vincent in concert together. Um, it's on Hulu if anyone wants to check it out beforehand. It's called The Nowhere In, and I'm very excited to talk about that and watch it again, even though when it came out, I saw it four times in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that out of the way, uh, Ben, I don't, I don't know um, if you have anything prepared, but um, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's a chance that you are going to wrap the life count advertisement you do this week. <laughs> and as I say that, making this joke at the top of my head, I really should have thought of this earlier and thought of a rap for our Patreon, which I did not do. Damn. Oh, man. Damn. I, I would have been happy to, to actually write, try to write something yes. rap-esque. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, no, but I didn't, uh, of course, because why would I have? We're sorry, now? folks. We're, we're terrible at our yeah. jobs, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, we owe you that apology. Uh, no, uh, no rap, but yes, the Life Counter rap. Download it, track your life totals, keep track of the stats, wins, losses for each deck and against each opponent, and uh, rub it in your friends' faces when you play Magic the Gathering (laughs) using the Life Counter app. And, of course, you can now support the Life Counter app by going to bit.ly slash the Life Counter, which will take you to, to TCG Player, where you can buy any and all of your trading card game needs, and I get a kickback for sending them your business yes so you can support the life counter that way uh and please use it and talk about it it is the dopest life counter that's ever existed um and that's not just from me i also feel that way but other people have said the same thing so check it out yes yes and like i've said before from experience i i truly dig it now a quick question about the um the affiliate link which once again everybody check out um, if they use your link, even though your your app is for specifically Magic the Gathering, um, if they go to TCG Player through your link, they do not have to purchase something Magic the Gathering related, correct? That is correct. You can Pokemon sleeves, anything. Yes. Anything you buy, I get kickback. And I wanted to give a shout out to that because I have been reading, um, I mentioned it last week, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. Uh, that has actually uh, had some resurgence in physical card players as well. And I would imagine, TCG Player was not um, mentioned in the articles I was reading about this, but I would imagine they're getting more traffic because people are now, once again, interested in Yu-Gi-Oh! as a card game. Um, I think more so than ever in like the last seven, ten years or something like that. So even if you are a Yu-Gi-Oh! player, use this link to buy your Yu-Gi-Oh needs. You don't need to buy magic through Ben's link um, to support him and to, uh, I think, inadvertently somehow support the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And also, if you do want to directly support the podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash cinemodities. Um, I think at this time, the last episode is still the first of the month, the Ice Harvest, which we talked about last week. Um, but uh, very soon, you know, we will have Adventure Time and some other stuff at the end of the month. But if you want access to a whole catalog of episodes, I was actually looking when I, I edited something like an, ep- an Adventure Time episode and I posted it or scheduled it on Patreon. I was looking back and I'm like, holy shit, we've done a lot of stuff on on patreon like we're in season two of adventure time now like i mean think back to when we started it we did constantine we did the constantine animated movie we did cabin in the woods searching there's two episodes on searching because that's one of the greatest films ever um the the run episode oh my god there's there's so much so if you want tons more cinemodities patreon's the place to find it um you can even pay a little more to force us to watch certain movies or some movies um, looking at you, Zen Shift, and that Beverly Hills Cop 3 recommendation. That keeps me up at night, I swear to God. Um, but yes, cinemodities.com slash uh, patreon.com slash cinemodities to get even more episodes and to support the podcast. 
And then I think that's it. I think that's it for this week. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, in retrospect, uh, even when I edit it, I think I'm going to feel the same. I think we did this movie justice. I really think we did. I, I hope that's the case. It, it deserves it deserves justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I hope that we... I hope we didn't let the the goat down. Yeah.